This week, three sides of the coin. It's the Rock Candy Magazine Round Table. Round. You, you can read about this in the new issue of Rock Candy Magazine on the newsstands now, but now you're going to be able to watch the entire unedited interview. Mark, myself, Larry Mazur, Frank from Hatebreed, and Ross from Rock Candy. We all sit down and talk the best Kiss albums. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things Kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. I don't know when's the last time we actually had Three Sides of the Coin on. It's usually been two. It's usually been two. Before the Mm -hmm. new year. I mean, and, and look it. Who's this? Who's this? This guy. This guy hey here. Hey I thought he quit. <laughs> no, I just don't have anything better to do today. <laughs> quit and move to Mexico. He's got mail. My moments. Throat. Yeah. So, so not. Don't expect me to do anything because I'm sure you're not going to have any comments to read. No. no. On the show. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? Um, I'm not going to read any comments, but I will. I will say the comments for last week's show, Mark, the show you and I did all by ourselves. Well, like every Great. week, people are loving to play along the the homework. You know, best and worst that we did. Yeah, I I, I actually did look at that. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, and people love to be in, involved. They love to to share their opinions. And and I want to say truly, all kidding aside, I appreciate you guys always chiming in like that and leaving comments because we do read them. You know, and I think it's great. I think I think you know, Mark, as we talked about, we should do another episode like that with a with like the three of us or the four of us get into more discussion on it as well because that was a fun yeah. episode. I mean, we can do a best and worst, pretty much anything kiss related. Oh God, yeah, easily. I agree. Oh, and but and also too, I I have to say I I've got some several uh, private messages here over the last week or so. I don't know if it's because people are taking stock in their lives because it's the new year and they've got goals. But I want to thank each and every one of you that reached out just to say that they really appreciate the show and how they uh, look forward to to listening and how it just takes them away from some of the stuff that they're going through. Uh, on a weekly basis for just a couple hours, which we appreciate because that's why we do it. We do it because we It gets us out of the bullshit too. Yeah. Um, before we get into this week's episode, there is, I guess, a little bit of KISS news. I mean, KISS announced rescheduling of what, five or six dates that, that got canceled because of COVID-related issues when Gene and Paul each had COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw somebody like, Kiss announces a U.S. tour. It's like this is not a U.S. tour. This is like five Make or six dates. states that are making up for shows that were canceled. Milwaukee, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dayton, Ohio. Um, what else? Um, Hartford, Connecticut, and something else. So check your local listings if you're in any of those areas and check on tickets. I'm going to go to at least a couple of them. 
you know, we still haven't heard anything, no updates about Australia, no updates about Europe. And why I say that is, you know, as Mark and I talked about last week, um, Australia is like pretty much locked down again. And I know Rod Stewart, whose tour was to happen after Kiss's tour, has already postponed his Australian tour to okay. next year. So, again, I'm, I, I wouldn't hold out a lot of hope that KISS in Australia is going to happen as planned. We're actually and, very lucky that we live in the U.S. and we have some of these bands out touring, even if it's not the larger arena shows, even though there are going to be some. But, man, Buck Cherry's out there hitting it hard, and they're going to be out with Alice Cooper. There's so many. Guys, so guys, with with because I, I and we say this all the time and I, I think it's a good idea to take all politics out of it but uh i'm assuming you two gentlemen enjoyed the greatest weekend of football ever oh my god was this last weekend of of playoffs the, by the, far the best the best the best games i've ever seen incredible i can't even pick a great one uh, well, no, I, I, I can I can do that. I mean, without question, in my opinion, Buffalo and Kansas City was one of the absolute greatest football games I've ever seen. I, yeah. I would go there, but I want to parlay that back to what we were talking about. Um, did you guys notice the people in the stadiums? Nope. Yeah. Just saw huge crowds. I, well, that's my point. Those stadiums were all no. full. Yeah. Yep to the brim you couldn't have gotten two more people in with shoehorns yep and again i want to take all politics out of it I, it just to me but, but my question though is, is is some of it the fact that but you know what like for vikings from what i could see regular season games this year they were sold out every single time they played here in town but our is there something different and more appealing about going to a one and done type of playoff game for football? Because I think I could have sworn I read an article where they're still seeing a certain percentage of sold tickets not showing up at the shows. Well, that, yeah, 20%. That, 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 that's the case for at least for music. I don't know if that's applying to sports, but so what's, but what's the difference is what I'm trying to say. What I Honestly, I don't know. I mean, one of the things Mark and I talked about last week was, you know, two years ago, we were like, you know, touring in the U.S. Screw that. It's just not going to happen. But we'll see touring everywhere in the rest of the world because the rest of the world seems to have gotten their act together. And here we are in 2022. And it is exactly the opposite. Touring in the U.S. is and I'm not going to say not an issue because I think I just literally read Elton John has already postponed his tour because he just announced he's got COVID. Things are still popping up here and there, but it's not an issue going to sports games, small concerts, theaters, major concerts. Yes, there could still be little things that happen here or there, but it's the rest of the world. I mean, I can't tell you how many bands that are supposed to be touring Europe this year are pushing back to the end of this year or pushing to next year. Well, that's what I wanted to kind of, I wanted to give everybody a visual of large stadiums being filled today, literally today, meaning, you know, in January of 2022. Is that going to be the catalyst for these bands just going, you know what? Um, 
and, and obviously this is a Kiss podcast, so we'll 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 go with Kiss. Kiss. I'm originally the original date for the final Kiss show ever was supposed to be almost seven months ago, last July. <clears throat> and do they just now say, you know what? Fuck it, because I'm with you, Mike. I do not see, and of course, I have no crystal ball or anything, but. Um, much like we talked about, I don't see Australia happening. I don't see, I think Europe has a better chance of happening. A better, a be, you know, like I, I said there was a 40% chance of Australia happening. I think maybe I said like a 60% chance. So there's a little better, but I don't think Europe is like a 90% slam dunk. Europe is still very iffy and yeah to your point mark are the you know is kiss are these artists just gonna say it's too much we you know we can't we can't keep trying this the rest of the world you know what we're sorry europe we're sorry australia we really want to play there but we're not we're not postponing we are literally canceling and we're not going to come back and we're going to finish here in the u.s put it this way i think if australia is canceled and especially especially if if europe's canceled I can see the Kiss Camp just going. You know what? We're going to do our residence. Yep. We're and and we're done. Um, I will tell you something that's also odd on my end, just because I've been on all ten Kiss cruises. Normally by mid January, that's everything's announced. Everything's yeah. I've got the stamp of approval, and I've already paid my money. Not one time have I paid later than January. Well, January ends a week from today. And uh, yeah, I Nothing, think February huh? 1st. And I haven't even, you know, obviously I'm on the on the, the, the Facebook thing for the Kiss Cruisers and in, in, in uh six the Victoria, who does a wonderful job, she's a great woman, um, you know, tries to stay in contact with people who write emails. But even she was on the other day. She's like, you know, everything's going to happen. We just don't have all the I's dotted and T's crossed and everything. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, the I's dotted and the T's crossed by the end of January, when it's the same time every year, it's October. What could possibly be an issue with them announcing this thing? I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to drum up something that's you know or trying to sound cryptic about something but i just think it's odd that's all when you start seeing things not go as usual when you again this is my 10th one or excuse me this would be my 11th one they've always been very regimented you know everything always happened in january and then you know you'd get your um emails and stuff later on in the year but nothing so far so is that the band too? Maybe scrambling for time. I, I don't know. I just find. I don't it know. Out. You know, I I almost wonder if it's not so much that they know something's going on. It's more of them realizing. You know what? Maybe we don't need to do all of this quite so early. We can buy ourselves a couple extra months in case something com- something completely out of their control. Which God knows that everything's out of control right now does come up and happen and change it they'd rather not say oh yep you just bought but a week later oh now we got to give you your money back because it's not i don't know i'm just assuming maybe they're just trying to give themselves a little more 
padding buffer room you know they probably know you know that hey it takes x amount of time to sell this place out so and and I, i'm just making this up so if we do this march first we still got plenty of time to sell this out and that gives us a little more wiggle room in case something changes and the but and the touring thing though is hot because i was shocked by this uh kyle always sends out emails because you know he has 1013 which is the music review page here in minneapolis and st paul and i suppose minneapolis st paul is a major market but it still feels to me like it's not quite like say detroit or chicago uh places like that and he there's 76 concerts in february i was like 76 oh yeah i I think in the u.s you can basically every band is it's back to 2019. Bands are wow. back to just touring. And, yeah. and things are a little different. I mean, you know, Wasp yeah. just announced their U.S. tour and some fans are like, oh, I'm not going to this show because this venue's got these rules and restrict. Listen, oh, are you, are they, you know, the, the, the bands basically have no say over that stuff. That's the venues doing what they want to do or have to do. But the point is, bands are touring. Bands are touring in the U.S. And as I said, Two years ago, we didn't think that was going to be a possibility in the U.S. Well, Mike, here, here in Detroit, um, I don't know if, if because some of you guys have Facebook friends from Detroit. You know, again, it's January. There's billboards literally here in Michigan and in, especially here in the Detroit area that have announced because Pine Knob went back to their original I saw that. name. Oh, that's what I mean. I'm sure if you have friends in this area, maybe have seen it in one of their because it was a big deal well they're already pressing that whole nostalgia thing and make sure you know we're going to be getting tickets on sale soon uh, for those who don't know the pine knob is our out, outdoor shed and and not to brag or boast or anything but it routinely would finish in the pole star and stuff is the best outdoor theater in the in the country i mean it's it, it's a it's a beautiful place it is and it really is yeah it, it's a wonderful place and you know that that thing holds anywhere from 15 to eighteen thousand people i mean fully packed and you know that's a big venue and i did see like uh again just because it's it being in detroit it's, it's a little bit different but i i already saw a couple you know big michigan type artists already have their dates up i think kid rock has a couple dates there nugent has his date there um and they're going to start uh announcing other shows there um now soon. how will nugent and, draw you know, there how will nugent draw there good big just it's no different than alice cooper you know um i, I think tommy when we were in when we were in uh, tampa it was weird because we were in uh you know that th- amphitheater down there and it yeah. was you know sp- the, the, when when Alice played in Detroit with Ace, if it wasn't sold out, it was damn near sold out. You know, fifteen to eighteen thousand people. Okay. So, and, and Ted draws really, really again. You know, Alice is a, is a Detroit boy. Ted, Detroit boy. <laughs> you know that the are the artists that are 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 big here. You know, and it's funny too because the same thing. Like I know Ted's playing in uh, Tampa. He's playing at. Um, Ruth Eckert. And that's a nice haul. I've saw, I've saw Alice Cooper there, but that's a great example. When I saw Alice at Ruth Eckert, Ruth Eckert, I think holds three to 5,000. 
and Ted's playing there. So again, I, I understand some music is regional and those are two great examples because, you know, both Ted and Alice still sell very, very well here. Yeah. Cause like um, Alice Cooper's coming here in March and playing mystic Lake. That's about a 2,500 seat place, give or take. And the last time Ted was here, he played at the myth and that holds about 2000 people. So that's yeah. why I was curious if, if, you know, considering that you're saying capacity there could be 18,000, how, how do they do? Yeah. Again, you know, I've seen pretty much, if not every Ted show there throughout the year, same thing with Alice, you know, there's just certain bands that I know other places of the country, they don't do anywhere near that business. Another band who was not from Detroit, but same thing, Jay Giles, huge here. <laughs> they, 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 you know, last time I saw, the last Jay Giles show I saw was a couple of years ago, and it was at Pine Knob, and if it wasn't sold out, it was pretty damn close. Whereas I know they could go to St. Louis or wherever and, you know, draw 2,500. They're just really big here. And always, always were. It wasn't until I was a little older that I didn't realize that they weren't. I just assumed they were as big here as they were everywhere else. I mean, growing up here in Michigan, yeah, fuck Jake, Al, Jake Giles was on there. And I'm not talking fucking centerfold or any of that stuff. I'm talking the hardcore Jake Giles stuff was, you know, they played half of, uh, of uh, Blow Your Face Out. I mean, fuck, we got that 24-7 here. I mean, growing up, that whole album was played just about every damn cut was was radio fodder here so um and again i love them they're a big fan but uh yeah i mean they i tell you what while, while we're talking about stuff like that and i think it's kind of interesting tommy other than prince what's what's something that you think is bigger in minnesota than it would be like in detroit where is is there an artist you think would sell 10 to fifteen thousand tickets in minnesota but in detroit played at 2500 yeah, the replacements. Okay, that's a great example because I like yeah. them. Yeah, they 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 would. In fact, that last tour they did, I think they did pretty well in other areas. But like they played, um, they play they played uh, the stadium in Saint in yeah, St. Paul, right? Yeah, that's no longer there. Um, the Saints Stadium because they got a new one. But yeah, they played there and and there was they filled it. Whereas I don't believe that they have the ability to do that elsewhere. But that'd be about the only one that I can think of, aside from Prince. But Prince would do would have done well everywhere, and, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, no. Most of the other bands that are popular that are from here would probably pay play to the, about the same amount of people here that they would in San Francisco, Detroit, New York, wherever it might be. You know, yeah, I think some I think, people. I was going to say, ahead, I think, I think to to Detroit's credit, you guys have had. You, you've had, at least in your heyday, I don't know if it's the case now, more than one great rock station happening in the Detroit area. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you you know, Detroit has always been, whether it was Cream Magazine and the multiple rock stations, Detroit was all, and this kind of brings up a question I was going to ask is, what city in America probably could have the title of the best I don't know how you'd want to label it rock city. And I mean, a la Detroit rock city. I mean, well, is there I'm anything reading... bigger than that? Because, because I mean, you know, Minneapolis, okay. We had KQ, but it was only one St. Yeah. Louis, Casey. And I'm not saying those markets aren't strong rock markets, but even Minneapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, 
Yeah. I don't think they they actually compare to Detroit when it comes to the ability for rock and roll to to survive. Well, sadly, it's not that way anymore, unfortunately. But I can say wholeheartedly that in the 70s and 80s, uh, especially the 70s, I'm currently reading um, a, a book on Aerosmith. And the author says over and over and over just how important and it's funny just how close kiss and aerosmith mirror one another for that how they come to they came to the michigan detroit area more than any other area and had a big following here first you know what i mean they were big where they came from but there was something about about the detroit area it's just i'm telling you I, i at one time we had four functioning rock rock stations that competed heavy against one another and the concerts were I mean, it was just insane here and you know i was just a product of that too i mean that's really what shaped me in a lot of ways is and again it goes back to kiss collecting and you know i rock bands were in the newspaper all the time and i didn't I just thought that was normal until I got older. I'm like, holy shit, look at all, you know, all this, all these huge ads and, you know, crap that I, those are just regularly here. I mean, I know, I know. Aerosmith was big news. Obviously, Bob Seeger, another local guy, you know. um, know, I think it's also just the Midwest all the way around because it seems like it it uh, is. But, but here's a great example. Um, I I was just getting to Bob Seeger, obviously a local boy. But Bob, I saw Bob in, I think his final tour was 19, in 2019. He, here's a guy that, you know, started in the 60s. So he, you know, roughly 50 years. I think total was four or five nights at Pine Now. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know. It, yeah, that, that's what I mean. I, and I tell you what, it's, it's the same thing, though, too. And I think nationwide. There are a lot of acts, you know, Ted's one of them. Alice is one of them. You know, those guys started in the sixties and the fact that they can still draw two to 3000 people in San Francisco. It's it's, for someone who's been around for 50 years. Yeah. That's insane. Great. That's how come when I see people even poo poo kiss, you know, I I think even in the last pole star, they finished 30th or something. Guys been around since the early 70s and they're still in the the top list of touring that's what i mean mean, that like i I, you know i even remember go back to the revenge era where they're like oh they're drawing four and five thousand and i'm like yeah what for a band that at that time has been up 30 years still that's that's success yep yep I, i don't understand when when people get down on that even the legacy acts even the bands that i love the most you know Deep Purple can still tour and they're still playing in front of 3,000 people here in the States on on their own. Judas Priest, who I just saw a couple months ago, they played, uh, they played, it was at the, it was the Fox, I think. Yeah, it was at the Fox, you know, four, 4,000 people or so. Yeah. Now, why, why, why is that shameful to some? I, I don't you know. know. That's part of, that's part of the whole music snobbery that I part, 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 part it, of it is, is the fans themselves. Cause I was going to, back to the judas priest thing because i don't know if you saw the comment 
when we were talking about priests last week, somebody's like, oh, you two guys know nothing about Judas Priest. They tour, they still tour arenas. And I'm like, I'm like, um, yeah, there might be a few arenas here and there. But there's an awful lot of theaters. Awful. He's, he, he's like, see, but they're still playing arenas. I'm like, yeah, but you're the one that was coming down on us that we didn't know this. I mean, it's almost like some of the diehard fans are the most critical of these bands at times. I'm just happy they're touring. I don't care where they play. It, it, I'm it with you. It's matter. no different than the... And I think that it's less of a... I think it's less of a um, statement about the band and more of a statement about the fans because there's an awful lot of people who love Judas Priest or whomever it might be that aren't going to go just because they simply either A, are not aware the band is playing in their market or B, just don't want to leave the house. And it's not a COVID thing. They're just lazy. There's a lot of people who've forgotten, I think, how to have fun and to go out and see live music and they just don't go anymore. Oh, you, you know, you're, you're right about that. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that have led to that though. I mean, as you get older, you're, you're less inclined to let's jump in the car and let's road trip and let's have a good time. And, Oh, you've got a job and you've got family and kids and everything else. I mean, I know for me, you know, road trip, I mean, I remember road tripping from Chicago to Detroit just to see the Paul Stanley solo tour. Right. It, was, it wasn't even a question, was I going to do it? It was just like, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm hopping right. in the car and I'm driving. Going. Where am yeah. I staying? I don't know. I'll figure that out when I get there. Yep. Um, but, you know, life has changed for so many people now. And there's so many other diversions and costs are different. But you know, you're, you're right in the fact that it's just like, it's great that they can, they're still touring, that they still want to. And I've always said, for me, the greatest example of that is Cheap Trick. Yep. There, there's a band. When I first saw Cheap Trick, they were headlining the Dream Police Tour, selling out in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And then I went to each consecutive tour and it got Tenants went down and down and down. And finally, they were no longer headliners. They were support act. And, you know, Cheap Trick is a band that today love playing music so much. They don't care where they play. I saw them at a small winery here 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, you know, the back grassy area of the winery and Cheap Trick's playing there. And, you, you know, part of me is like, this is a band that used to headline to 15,000 people. And now there's 300, 400 people here in the back of a winery watching cheap trick play. They didn't give a crap. And as we know, they don't, they will play, play, play. They will go out and tour. And I've told this story when I saw them open for poison and Def leopard, it was such, it was so sad for me to see two Perfect. bands that give credit to cheap trick headlining over cheap trick mm -hmm. but yet they didn't care they went out there and kicked freaking butt for a 30 minute set and then poison comes on some of the greatest shows i've seen of them was at valley fair yeah i mean so so that that's to me what i love to see and feel from a band is a band that's like i don't care where i play i don't care how many people i play to i just want to play because i love being on a stage and that stage could be 
10 feet wide and it could be 100 feet wide. You know, I don't like the bands who are like, oh, well, I can no longer sell 10,000 tickets, so we're done playing live. It's like, oh, you're only in it for the money. I want bands like Cheap Trick, like Judas Priest, like Styx, like REO, that still go out and bust their ass because they love to play. Right. And sometimes, in all fairness, I I don't know if it's necessarily the band, because I'm not going to name names, but remember when I was asking you who the PR person or what your contact is to that certain artist? Yeah. That certain artist was supposed to play a festival, found out that they were not headlining that night and pulled the plug on it. And I was going to reach out and just go, this is a mistake because this will be the biggest show on this tour that they will be doing if they play. It doesn't matter if they're the headliners or not. They get a full set and there's going to be 8,000 people watching. How is this a bad thing? I hate I hate egos like that. I just hate egos like that in bands. I know. And, and, and I don't think it's the artist. I think the artist is unaware. I think it's the 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 management, and that's why I re- just, I never I decided not to go. And even. and you know, and to your point, I I have worked with some artists that have played festivals where I know management was like, uh, no, we've got to be at least second on the bill. We cannot have this band above us. Just the logo can't be above our logo in the ads, and it's like, really. Is this what it's coming down to? The size of the freaking logo determines and the yeah. position of that logo determines whether you're going to do this show or not. And it just doesn't matter. Cause like I said, it's It would be, a, it would have been a great opportunity, an opportunity lost. And it's frustrating. It is. But, but I mean, you know, back to what we were talking about, it it's, it's great that at least here in the U S We've got tours happening. You can pretty much go find a band. Any band you want now is is out touring. And I just wonder yeah. if we're going to see more and more bands just go, okay, well, we're not doing world tours anymore. We're touring the U.S. and that's it. Right. I think there'll be more of that. I really do. And until Until things get more manageable. But yeah, again, back to what we started this all with. I mean... Kiss is supposed to be in Australia in what, just over a month or about mm-hmm. a about a month. That's pretty freaking. I mean, the let's put it this way: I would assume there's a ship somewhere in the ocean already with their stage on it, on its way to Australia. If that's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, is it is? I, I don't know. I talk to people in Australia who even the people in Australia are like, I don't think this is happening. Yeah. And I, you know, I and mean, I feel, I, I feel for like those, it. I feel for those fans in all those countries. I mean, it sucks. But yeah. it's not a lot you can do. I mean, keep in mind, a lot of what these bands are dealing with is out of their control. And I don't mean just the virus itself. It's, Restrictions that countries put down, states and providences put down, cities put down, uh, you know, it, it makes it next to impossible for a band and a crew to sit here and think, well, how can I tour and go from Switzerland to Germany and then from Germany to France? You know, that's how many borders are you crossing? How many different restrictions are you dealing with? It's tough. Yeah, yep. it's not it's not a pretty picture coming up. 
um you know i and again with the band like kiss how much longer can they postpone this That's and speaking of postpone things um of all the shows tommy is just west palm beach the only one they haven't um rescheduled yeah, that i'm aware of yeah which i thought was odd because they're gonna be in florida in may i know but maybe they just they, couldn't get the date maybe the, who knows what's going on you know yeah because i'm i'm hoping to, like tommy hopefully uh i'm gonna hit a, a few of these you know while they're stateside and while we can um because you know that uh that <laughs> one day shorter man i mean that's this is this is all coming to an end yeah um so and 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 also too think of this as your opportunity to go see some new bands because of that 76 i mentioned i recognized two names that's it so i spent an hour or so the other night looking these bands up and have come to find out that some of them are quite popular in other parts of the world so i'm going to go check out some new stuff that i've never heard before some of it's bluegrass some of it's metal some of it's pop rock it's a variety of things country go out and see something new yep amen so um this week's episode is is a little little different so a few weeks ago i don't know maybe a month ago no it was it was over a month ago it was before mm-hmm. christmas so as you're watching this, the new issue of Rock Candy Magazine is out. Go get it. Kiss is on the cover. Destroyer on the cover. Big article, interview with Gene and Paul talking about the Destroyer um, album. Um, they've even got a sidebar article in there with Larry Mazur. But last year, Rock Candy, end of last year, Rock Candy reached out to me and said, Mike, you want to put together a roundtable discussion of kiss experts we're not calling ourselves experts so please don't start that crap that oh Brandville thinks he's an expert chikini <laughs> thinks he's an expert no this is you know they're 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 marketing it's like a round table of kiss crazies kiss experts um to discuss the greatest kiss album or what we think is the greatest kiss album which, of course, everyone agrees it's alive. So, well, you know, we'll it was funny. It, 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 it was funny. So, so I'm talking to Howard Howard Johnson, who's been a guest on this show before. I'm like, well, how, how, Howard? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those little Howard Johnson restaurants that you would always stop at on road. Yes. yes. Um, you know, I first thing I said to Howard was, well, you know, if if that's the end goal, it's I can tell you right now, it's just going to end up being Kiss Alive. I mean, so what's the point of having a roundtable discussion if we already know what it's going to be? It's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of right on that. So I'm like, how about we just have a roundtable discussion where each person goes around and talks about what they think is their best album or two or three albums, depends on the time that we could put into it. And, and then we'll have everybody email back their number one pick. So it was just more of a I would say it ended up being like a, a three sides of the coin episode. Based it was a lot on what of fun. It was. So I was. Mike, you're silent. Oh, Ruta. There we go. Okay. There we go. 
I got a new headset. It's wireless and it just mutes itself out of the blue every once in a while. Um, so Rock Candy said, Mike, you pick the people you want on this panel. I think it was going to be five people, including myself. So um, it's not all of three sides. Tommy wasn't on, but Tommy, I think you were on vacation. Mm -hmm. Lisa wasn't on. Um, but Mark, I shouldn't have been on even if I was around because I'm not. Yeah, you, you would have been like born anyway. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I immediately he was like, yeah, you know, we want somebody who's just a crazy kiss collector fanatic. I'm like, OK, well, that's Mark. I mean, <laughs> who else to go to? Yeah. Um, and then uh, we had Ross Sampson, who works for Rock Candy Magazine, does all of their website work. He joined us. Um, Frank from Hatebreed came back, joined us in this and Larry Mazur join this round table of people talking about kiss so we had some just kiss fans we had a musician we had somebody who worked with kiss um and i don't know it was about an hour round table discussion that that i led and we were just talking about it so um now that the issue is out i went back to rock candy and i said i think it would be a very cool idea if you let us release this whole discussion because the article this, this round table was compressed down to like a three or four page mini feature in Rock Candy, which you got to go get because, hey, three Our sides of the coin, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're in Rock Candy. Um, so, but anyway, it's a lot of KISS stuff in there as well. But uh, I said, you know, let, let me release the whole unedited in round table discussion, not just the few choice bits and pieces you that always come out of interviews. If anybody's ever done an interview and then you transcribe it, you always know the final article is probably about 10% of what was said in the interview, which is sort of the reason why three sides, whenever we have guests on, you get the whole thing. There's definitely periods where we are like, well, we could have edited that out. It got a little slow, it was a little boring. Nope, you get everything. And I, speaking for myself as a fan, I love all of an interview not just what somebody else thinks as the gatekeeper is the best so they thought it was a great idea so this week that's what you're going to get you're going to get the ability to sit and watch this entire roundtable discussion between the five of us talking about great kiss albums and I don't know about you, Mark, but I know there was some moments where I was just like, can we just shut up and let Larry Mazur talk? Oh, oh my God. Yes. I, even, <laughs> I think I even, I think I texted you that. I'm like, we, this guy can listen to this guy talk all day. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, Larry, Larry's been on, on three sides years ago mm -hmm. and, and, you know, knock on wood. It, it always backfires when I do this, but Larry's agreed to come on and do a full episode I think he's going to record with us in a couple weeks. Nice. We got to call Chuck Klosterman too. We haven't had him on a long yeah, time. Yeah, I love Chuck. Great, yeah, Chuck. Great. Chuck's a good, good one to go back to. But um, Larry is going to come on and do basically a deep dive into revenge with us, just the revenge era, because there were moments again in this roundtable that you'll be able to see here where he's talking about hot in the shade and he's talking about revenge and it's just like man, this oh, guy there's shit that you don't know that he there's knows. yeah he, he he said stuff where we're just like i didn't know that mm -hmm. but he's also 
this guy is just brutally honest about what mm-hmm. he thinks of Gene and Paul and the albums and the tour. And, you know, I loved that just slap across the face, brutal honesty that Larry had. Um, because again, he was a guy who was there at a very pivotal moment in history. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everybody's contribution, Mark's, Frank's, Ross's, mine, um, it made for some really great, just sit back and listen to people talk about Kiss albums and how they impacted their life, basically. Why did this Kiss album mean so much to somebody and not to somebody else? You know, and surprisingly, and it wasn't set up this way because nobody was given any direction. Yes, everybody, well, except for me, I think mentioned Kiss Alive. Um, (laughs) But everybody was like, Destroyer, Destroyer, Destroyer. You know, it, it just goes to show how important an album Kiss Destroyer was not to just kiss but to music things yeah. it really as as hard as it might have been for kiss fans back in the 70s to accept it it's really become i would say the pivotal studio kiss album well and you always look back on things differently than when you're in the moment That's well it's why. funny I, I i posted something on on three side site a couple of weeks ago but it was the reader's poll from 1976 from both Circus and Cream Magazine. I saw that. Aerosmith, Kiss, Kiss, Aerosmith, Aerosmith, Kiss. You know, I mean, it was just like, it was just funny. And it's funny because I'm, you know, reading that book right now, how those just weave into one, you know, one another, how those bands did, you know, and they didn't play together. You know, I, they, I think they did one show in the 70s, uh, matter of fact, here in Detroit. Uh, for the WABX Kite Fest. But, you know, for two bands that were as huge as they were at the time, you think they would have met up at a festival or something, but they didn't. Wasn't there a lot of dislike in the camps, especially the Aerosmith camp towards um, this? Well, or maybe that's you know not true. It's funny because, uh, I, again, I'm just as equally a geeky Aero fan as I am a Kiss fan. And in Joe Perry's book, he he talks about the show seeing Kiss play open for them and he's like do we have to do this now i mean is this is where is this where we are at now we have to dress up like this but he did say that he liked their music um you know what i mean whereas i think tyler was more dismissive you know i noticed one thing you know again being a a fan reading all that stuff they didn't talk about one another much Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it wasn't trash talk between the two no i think they both went or positive talk and we're yeah. doing really well. So we'll just leave it at that. Yep. But I mean, Joey um, Kramer, I thought he was kind of a problem. Well, Joey Kramer opened his mouth in the early 2000s when they played with Kiss. He thought it was beneath Aerosmith to have Kiss on, uh, you know, which kind of bummed me out because I'm a big Joey Kramer fan, you know. Um, but, eh, you know, he's got his right to his own opinion, you know. Oh, abs- no, absolutely. I just... I always thought a lot of them would just dismiss them, you know, and, and yeah, but I mean, tell me that it doesn't rub Paul and Gene the wrong way at how many hits Aerosmith had in the eighties. Well, well, keep in mind though, but Joe Perry played on Gene's solo album, right? You know, and Joe Perry jammed one of the few people that actually came on stage and jammed with Kiss. Yep. 
So, I mean, okay. Joe Perry is historic. Joe Perry, out of that band, Joe Perry is just the real rock and roller. You know what he's I mean? The, he's the ace fraily of Aerosmith. Yeah, I guess, but, uh, you know, obviously it's a little different because he wrote most of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, uh, matter of fact, um, I was really, in the early 80s, I was such a big Joe Perry Project fan. I just love those records. And I was disappointed when Aerosmith got back together with Joe because I like Joe's solo stuff so much. Um, but I will tell you, too, it's funny. Um, if you've never gotten um, Rock in a Hard Place, the one record they did without Joe and I pretty much without Brad, except for one song, that album's fucking incredible. Um, you know, rock in a hard place. And I saw that tour a couple times too. That was, but I thought that I thought kiss had some really great material that did not get received the way Aerosmith did in the eighties, that loving an elevator, that whole thing with the, Oh, I hate walk I, this I, I, way. I, I, God. Uh, oh, I know. But it just, it's like, God, really? For me, for Aerosmith, I have not liked an Aerosmith album in total since Permanent Vacation. I, I just, the whole love in an elevator thing makes me wretch. It just, he, he, I, it, it's, it's, no, it's no longer Aerosmith. It's Holly Knight Presents. Aero, or you, you know, what, what, what's interesting about, because, you know, we hear this from a lot of Aerosmith fans, especially early Aerosmith fans who are like, yeah, once Love in the Elevator came out, it's like, that's not the band. They went, they went MTV, they went Hollywood, blah, blah. Try and imagine, is that what would have happened to Kiss if Crazy Nights had succeeded? But that's what they were trying hard to do. I know, I know. I just thought that the quality of songs on Crazy Nights were better than the stuff that Aerosmith was getting airplay with. That was the, the, the piece that... Yeah, but, you know, Tommy, as we've I talked so many sucked. times... I couldn't stand as, either. As we talked both times, Kiss is always, makeup or no makeup, always had that stigma of they just can't play they're not real musicians it's yeah. kiss it's a yeah. it's a it's a band that puts on a great stage show have fun at their concert i mean even during the 80s after they took the makeup off and it did revive their career there was still the it's kiss it's right. kiss come on it's kiss can't take them seriously i mean that's something they've always dealt with i i I, I'm not as diehard an Aerosmith fan as you guys are, but I can't imagine there was ever a point in Aerosmith's career where people were like, oh, come on. It's just, it's Aerosmith. We can't take them seriously anymore. No, well, I, I will tell you, Julian, that's not the book I'm reading now, because, but Julian's Aerosmith book shows how in that period, 83, their ticket sales were way Oh yeah. They were way, way down. Off. Yep. And, and much like, kiss taking the makeup off them getting back with joe and brad yep well but that's that's only half the story though because that first initial tour did well done with mirrors fans like but it wasn't a major hit by a long shot no sheila was the one single and that didn't do anything yeah uh well um but then look thank their lucky stars that run dmc covered that because that's what really that that revived their career them, revived that gave them life career. yep correct and then john colander took the reins you know with uh and they started doing stuff like you know uh dude looks like a lady and angel and you know that was really the start of the mtv aerosmith but i think as an aerosmith geek there's enough old school 
hard rock on permanent vacations, especially the title track that yeah. I can still get my teeth into. I, I, I like after that, maybe one or two songs a record. I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I bought, I have the entire Aerosmith collect, uh, uh, you know, discography. I, I still bought the records cause I wanted to like it. You know, I, I had faith. I did the same thing with kiss when I, I didn't like asylum. I didn't like hot in the shade, but I bought them when they initially came out because I wanted to get it when it was fresh and I wanted to like it, but I didn't, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, again, that goes back even with me personally, I wasn't crazy about unmasked upon its release. I certainly wasn't crazy about the elder upon its release, but man, when, when creatures of the night came on, like start to finish this, my band's back. You know, and it was the same thing, too. I had the same reaction when Revenge came out. I'm like, my band's back. You know, it, 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 again, just loving these bands and, you know, from from ACDC on down when, you know, when a major hard rock or metal band that I, I like a lot has new music, I don't wait for what other people say or reviews or I just go and buy it. Yep. Yeah, and, um, and then I sit back and. Because that was, you know, it's funny, Mike, talking about Judas Priest. Um, Angel of Retribution, to me, was, that was as good as anything they'd ever released. I mean, when when Rob came back and that album came out, I was like, holy shit, is Priest back? This is just fucking insane great. And then I think, didn't, didn't, uh, no, Nostra Thomas come after that. I don't was, remember the, I don't, I don't the know, order, but I do remember the Nostradamus album. But I, when that came out, I was like, oh, really, guys? This is just the momentum slowed for me. I mean, I bought it. I, I like a couple of the tracks on it, but it just. It wasn't that it was disingenuous is because that's what they wanted to do. I just thought it was unnecessary. I just you know do that as a solo project or a side project or something i don't, i still can't get through that thing it's just difficult you know i just want to rock man <laughs> well you know what what's the deal with them going to a four piece everyone was it's, freaking it's, out it's back so it's, it's back, back it's back to back five to right but who were they going to get rid of no they got rid of andy their producer who played the second guitar I don't know oh. what was I don't know what the story was behind that. The only thing I could think of was, was financial. I mean, it, it didn't make any sense. Uh, much like I said, you know, on, on that episode when we talked about, you know, they're a twin guitar band. I mean, yeah. so many of those solos have you know the, the the matching harmonies and you know one distinctive solo and then another distinctive solo. You know, um, it just to me. It, it was just kind of silly um, to do that. Unfortunately, they, you know, they they got their heads about them. So, you know, hey, before we before we jump into the episode, I, I just wanted to also talk about, uh, you know, an act, band, or, or you know, uh, major artist. I don't know what Ozzy's going to do. He keeps postponing stuff, and Please. I just anything yeah. that I've seen. If anything that I've seen recently, he just doesn't look good. How, you know, yeah, I mean, I've said this many times. 
he he deserves to be retired at this point. I mean, he is he's the freaking godfather of heavy metal. He's sits on the throne of metal. He doesn't need to be pushed to do one more tour. And by pushed, I mean Sharon pushing him to do one more tour, one more tour, one more. Because the guy, uh, we've talked about this. It seems like he gets out of bed and he ends up in the hospital because he stubs his toe and he's in the hospital for six weeks for something more. It's like, uh, no, no, uh, we don't. You just know if he does get a tour started like three days into that tour, it's going to get postponed again because I don't know. He bumped into a road case and, you know, he's got a blood clot in his leg now or something. I mean, I just don't, I guess I don't want to see, and maybe he does, but I don't want to see Ozzy Osbourne die on stage. And I feel like that's where it's going to go. If they keep pushing this. The only other time I had a, 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 I I witnessed it was I saw one of the last motorhead shows um, within it was within a month or two of, of, cause uh, Lemmy died in December. Right. Mm-hmm. I would have saw him in September, which is, you know, whatever, three months before, but now keep in mind, I'd seen motorhead from 1980 on. I was a big fan early on, huge fan all the way through. And that was, I remember watching him going, he ain't right. He literally, they put him in front of the mic. He didn't move. He stayed right there. And he just looked weak and frail. And it was a bummer to see. I mean, I was happy that I got to see the last motorhead show here in Detroit, but it was nothing like the, the years past. It's like my, yeah, ne- like Nesmith and the monkeys was the same kind of thing. Was I mean, it? Geez- I didn't. You know. I didn't. That's just what I'd heard that they just he, Mike Nesmith looked just frail and like, how are you even here? I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, a question mainly to you, Mark, either related to Lemmy or Ozzy. Would you want your last concert memory to be a great concert memory of somebody kicking butt and doing a great job on stage? Or do you want that last concert memory to be, look at how frail he is. He can barely move. He can't walk. He can't jump. The vocals are weak. I mean, I mean, that that's what I ask myself all the time is like, do what do I want my last concert memory to be of? a band do i want to just go to one more show because i can do it but leave going oh god he looked frail and sick and this was not this wasn't up to what i saw in the 70s or 80s part of why you know now granted i did see david lee roth open for kiss but that's because he was at the kiss show but i didn't go to van halen after the reunions with david because just like I want my David Lee Roth Van Halen memory to be at their prime back when I saw him at the St. Paul Civic Center when it you was want to know something? that's an odd, that's an odd one to to use I think for an example because I went to both of the shows the two tours they did the first one I left disappointed because I wanted exactly what you're talking about but I went again during different kind of truth and about a third of the way through, I'm like, okay, I get this. 
it's different, but I like it. But I like and, it. And you know, and I might I might have been wrong, but I guess no, no, I'm not all, saying all, that you all, are. All I'm, I'm illustrating is that's that's what was going through my mind. And I've said yeah. this about Kiss and Paul. I mean, there was a period from the Sonic Boom tour up to the Vegas residency where I didn't go see Kiss because mm -hmm. of Paul's vocals. And I was like, I don't want my last Kiss concert to be the amazing Paul Stanley struggling right. on vocals. I want to remember him kicking fucking butt. So as these acts are getting older, that's something that at least for me, I'm going through in my head is do I want to go just because I can go? Or do I want to risk that might be kind of a bad last memory? I, I think I went just because I'm a fan and you never know. I mean, I didn't, nobody knew that, especially Lemmy, that he was going to die in three months. You know what I mean? True. True. So at the time, and I knew if you remember slightly before that, cause I think we talked about it on the show, you know, Lemmy stopped a couple shows, you know, three or four songs in prior to that part of the, of the U S tour, I believe. But, you know, I went anyway, and it's funny, Tommy, I'm with you, I, although I, not the first half. I loved, I saw a few shows on that uh, Different Kind of Truth or whatever the name of that Van Halen tour was. That tour was, I thought, was fucking awesome. The set list was from a That's kind of the point. It, it, it really was. And it's like about a third of the way through, I'm like, okay, I get it now. Because <laughs> they can't be what they were. That's the, but see, that's the magical thing about Kiss is they can be what they were, you know, and, and cheap trick is what they were because Xander defies logic. And I can't use deep purple in this example. Okay. Because I'd never seen deep purple play live before I saw them the last time they toured, but I thought they really sounded amazing. So I have nothing to gauge it against, but there's just certain artists that can continue to go out and do that. But but so so back to and Mark, this would be a question for you. Back to Ozzy, we know Ozzy's condition. We know Ozzy's health. We know everything. I mean, we see pictures of him. We I mean, unlike Lemmy, to your point, we didn't know Lemmy was sick. We know what Ozzy's condition is. If he does another tour, you know what you're walking into. Is that yeah. worth it just to see him one more time? That concert would be day of concert buying tickets i would not want to go through the because i knew the i would know the potential say they I announced a one-off ozzy show in detroit tomorrow tickets on sale at 10 i wouldn't buy one however i would plan on going to the show and it would be a day of walk 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 yeah up to the yeah window I'd and go, see what you can get i'd go just because when ozzy comes to town i i go i love you know, and it's funny because a lot of these bands were talking about Aerosmith and even Kiss and, you know, Ozzy. Motley Crue is another great example. There are periods of the band I just despised, but I still went and I still bought the records again because I bought them all when they were new. And then I didn't like them, you know, um, theater. I call it theater of shame is one of them. I hate that record. I can't stand it. It sounds nothing like the first two. And I really didn't like a, a large chunk of this stuff moving forward. I liked one or two songs. Girls, Girls, Girls is a great example. Um, I only liked a couple songs on it. I think it's a weak record overall, but the couple songs that are on it are brilliant. I mean, you could say uh, 
Wild Sides, one of their best songs ever. That's the rub. Yep. But the two that's or the three that are well, good are so freaking get, good. How do you get an album with that literally greatness on it? And then, you know, some of the other bad boy boogie what are the songs? well well There's but you know keep, keep in mind with, with motley crew back at especially like the girls 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 tour you're right you know two or three great songs really great songs the rest are just filler but when you saw them in concert you got nothing but the greatest songs of motley crew and and to me to this day the girls 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 tour stands as the pinnacle of what 80s arena rock extravaganza was all about i mean it was just like that was over the top and yeah the whole album not great but that tour mind-blowing i agree but god you know just as a as a geeky fan the whole first album to me is just great the whole second album to me is just great oh i agree and then you get to theater of pain and just oh my god this is it sounds horrible the songs suck you know i just didn't like it and then girls came out again i liked a couple songs on it and you know even moving forward feel good title tracks a phenomenal song i think the i was not the biggest fan of dr feel good because to me that felt like motley crew had totally polished their sound cleaned up everything and became radio friendly Mm-hmm. And and I'm not denying there's not there. We all know there's a bunch of hits on that album. And I went to the tour because again, I, I, I knew that I knew I knew Motley Crue in concert was gonna blow my fucking mind at that point in time because they were still young and hungry enough. And at least on the Feel Good tour, they were now clean. Um, but I wasn't a big fan of the Doctor Feel Good album. I got it. But I, it's not the album I go to when I play Motley Crue. Well, I guess that's means. my point. I, none of those later records I go to. And it's funny because Tommy and I both have an affinity for Saints of Los Angeles. I can listen to that 24-7 all the time. And I mean the whole record. I love I it. I fucking love that album. And I don't understand how that isn't as, that should be more, to me, should be more revered to, to over half their catalog. And I'll go, I'll go with New Tattoo as well. That well, that, 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 awesome. that, that's part of what's, as Motley Crue has celebrated their 40th anniversary of stuff, that's part of what's always turned me off a little bit is they're selectively celebrating 40 years. They omit, New Tattoo is nowhere in there. Karabi's album is nowhere in their marketing for 40 years. Saints isn't in there. They celebrate those classic albums and i i think new tattoo is a brilliant album oh incredible and here's funny too because i've always hated uh uh home sweet home it paint by numbers just horror i hate that song but you listen to hollywood ending on on new tattoo that's about the most perfect if you want to call it a power ballad it's just a well-written song it just oh, and I love their was, version of White Punks on Dope. Oh yeah, again, so, a great cover on that. And again, compare that to their shit cover of Jailhouse Rock. Yeah, and, and that's what that's what I'm talking about. The later stuff is way more to me as a music fan is worlds better than the the mid period stuff. They were just at the you know the right band at the right time. I mean the '80s, the debauchery. I think to a lot of degree, as some people joke about saying. 
crew literally could shit on the fucking vinyl and it would sell. And that's the way I see, yep. I see a lot of their mid period stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, there's some absolutely brilliant one or two songs per record, but don't give me this raise your hands to rock bullshit on theater. All that's just fucking terrible. I, I just, I can't even listen to it. It's so fucking bad. It, it, you know, at some point it would be, it would be interesting to see like some college course do a, a study of the career path of Motley Crue. So you could sit here and go, okay, first album, young kids, hungrier than crap. They are not influenced by anything other than their own musical upbringing and they deliver the goods. Second album, they've got a record label, but they are still hungrier than shit. Third album, now they're fucking rolling in the money and the drugs. And what does that do to the career and the quality? Girls, 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 same thing. More money, more drugs. The band's quality is going down, down, down. Then they clean up their act and they come out with Dr. Feelgood and boom, back up again. You know, it's almost like Motley Crue is the perfect study of outside influences potentially destroying a band. Yeah, I, there's, some, there's some truth to all that, I think. You know? Um, By the way, I, I thought this was just going to be a short intro. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We've been talking for I don't know over an hour already. Let's 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 let the the round table roll here. We'll see you at the end with a few homework questions and some wrap up. But you got to watch this. This round table again, honest to God, swear, interesting as hell. Larry Mazer, in my opinion, shining star of the nuggets that he drops and his just brutal honesty about his opinions on, on KISS, working with them and the importance of some of their early albums. So let it roll, and we'll see you at the end. Um, and like I said, let's just go around the table. Frank, let's start with you. Why don't you give me your two or three what you think are the greatest KISS albums for you? Um, for me, it's probably going to be Destroyer. Um, I'd be hard pressed. Are we allowed to do live records on this? Or yeah, there's there, there, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, it's live. I guess it's not really a live record, but um, you know, uh, I, I love Alive. I love Creatures of the Night. Um, those three, Alive, Destroyer, Creatures of the Night. Um, and if I had to throw a, a weird one in there that, that might be an unpopular opinion, it would be Animalized, just because that was the first time I was able to see the band. And, you know, I think that record doesn't get its due. Um, and I thought that Paul was really carrying the load at that time. And um, he did a great job. I love the production. Um, unfortunately, that was all we really got to see of Mark St. John. But I really enjoy that record, too. But, um, you know, those few are definitely my favorites, I would have to say. So, so give me a little more as to why did those, why did Destroyer Alive and Creatures connect to you? Well, like most KISS fans, these answers will probably change in a year or two or whatever. They've all been favorites throughout the years. You know, it's really hard to pick um, what you think are 
you know, what, what do you think the best one is? What is your favorite one? Those are two different answers in themselves. Um, but I think that, you know, talking of the first three, I would have to pick hotter than hell. Um, and, and of the second three batches of studio records, I would go with destroyer. I mean, destroyer, um, if, if somebody, if I had to tell somebody to get into Kiss that didn't know anything about the band or whatever, I from the artwork to the production to the songs, I would have to give them Destroyer, um, just because. I mean, it's the production, the songs. I mean, how many of those songs are in their set? Eighty um, percent, a lot of times. So um, it's hard to. It'd be hard to. It'd be hard to match another record that I feel would be at that level because I can still listen to those songs and they still sound fresh. They still withstand the test of time. And um, I can still listen to them without getting sick of them after however many years, 40 some years, 45 years. <laughs> there you go. Um, what, what about creatures then? How does that, how does that fit in with, you know, you mentioned destroyer and alive. So how does creatures fit that? I mean, it, Anybody who's a KISS fan will tell you that that's one of the fan favorites. I mean, it's a heavy record. It's an honest record, for sure. It's them coming back from a disaster. Even though the Creatures tour wasn't success successful and they they didn't gain more success until a couple of years later or whatever, um, as far as albums go, putting it on the turntable and listening to it, it's a phenomenal record from beginning to, to the end. There's, there's not a bad song on it. But um, do you do you think and, and, and again, there's no right or wrong answers to any of this. Do you look at creatures as almost compared to destroyer? It's almost like they went to another extreme. They got really heavy. I mean, you could almost say to some extent creatures of the night is the heaviest album kiss has ever recorded. Yeah, that and, and revenge people would, would say as well. Um, but I they had to do something and they, and even when I uh, being the huge kiss fan, I was lost a little interest there during, you know, unmasked and, and music from the elder, they reeled me back in with the, I love it loud video. And the, and you know, the, here's their faces again on the, on the cover of the record, even though Peter's face wasn't on there. Um, you hey, know, this, or, or this, Vin, Vinny's face, you mean. Right. Peter's right. Face wasn't on there either. He was Peter's face, about. Peter's, but Ace's face was on the cover. Right. But, but uh, I just, but, mean but we, but we, but we knew, but we knew, I mean, Peter was clearly gone by then. We didn't, oh, sure. we didn't, sure. you know, we didn't really know definitively that Ace was no longer in the band at that time. Sure. And, and, and as somebody that was 11, 12 years old, I don't know those logistics. You know what I mean? Right. I just, I just know that they put out this record that has their four faces on the front which is what drew me there in the first place. And the songs are really damn good compared to the last records. And I'm not saying that I do. I, I, I love, you know, music from the elder and, and unmasked, but if this is different, this is kiss more being kiss again. Um, it kind of, it kind of rejuvenated um, my energy and being a fan of, of kiss again. I think, you know, a lot of people as well, even though, like I said, I mean, it went, what the, the tour didn't even play all the dates. Well, yeah, I think, you know, when you look at that album, the tour and the album didn't perform well at all. But for fans that stuck around, I think we all agree that was a breath of fresh air. It was, oh, my God, they they they're back. 
we have confidence and faith in them again. Sadly, I think at that point in time, again, my opinion, the, mu the, the makeup had become such a detriment to the band at that point in time that nobody was looking past the makeup and giving the actual music a chance. Sure. Especially when you've got, you know, different characters and such now. And then, and then Kiss Alive. I mean, it's arguably one of the greatest live records of all time. I mean, back then when it, we didn't know that it wasn't all live, but I mean, I put it up there with Frampton Comes Alive. I put it up there with um, Double Live Gonzo. All these great records from the 70s that these bands were putting out, you know, and they, and they were one of the first. Um, it's undeniable. Um, the way that thing sounds from beginning to end. I mean, if you're going to have a party and back then and that's the perfect record to put on all four sides and um it's it's the band was still very hungry um you know they were on the dress to kill tour and and um they're rocking their songs are raw and it's it's what what else can you say about kiss alive one um larry how about you okay um Undoubtedly, Destroyer's number one by far. Reasons being for me that it's what Bob Ezrin brought to the table on a production point. And having worked with him and watched how he works on songs with all the bands he's worked with, he definitely had an impact, I think, on making sure that the cream of the crop was on that record without much cereal, which was on some of the earlier records. And uh, so I think that record defines the golden era of KISS. Um, number two, and I'll be totally selfish on this, is Revenge, um, because it was the record I was involved with from top to bottom, every step of the way, musically, artistically. And to me, it met the criteria of the demand I made when I started managing the band that Gene Simmons had to come back to KISS, which he had been absent from since Creatures of the Night, and I Love It Loud. and uh, I had to fight tooth and nail to get the agreement to go with Unholy as the first single. And then I wanted Domino to be the second single, which unfortunately I was shut down on because of uh, Gene's deference to Paul's feelings, which I thought was ridiculous. And I'm convinced to this day that if we had gone with Domino's second, it would have been a platinum record. Um, but I'm very proud of that record from top to bottom. So that one is number two for me. Number three is probably Love Gun, because along the same lines as Destroyer, it brought Eddie Kramer into the mix, who is one of my favorite producers of all time. And again, I thought sonically as well as song-wise, it was a very, very strong record. And I'll give honorable mention uh, to Kiss Alive, because starting with uh, Rockin' the Fillmore by Humble Pie in 1971, it really was part of the era of the double live album, which everybody started doing after that and obviously culminated with Frampton Comes Alive in 76. But um, I think it, it you know, it, 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 as far as a live album, it definitely made a major statement. And like I said, following up after Humble Pie's double live album, it, it definitely heralded an era of uh, a lot of bands putting out great double live albums from Rush to Bob Seger to many, many acts. And uh, so that's my three plus one. So Larry, let me ask you, let's go, let's go look at Revenge. 
as you said, you were you were involved with that top to bottom. And and I think most fans will agree revenge as an album, everything about the revenge era felt like we finally got kiss back without makeup, but it was as kiss as kiss could be without makeup, the visuals, the music, the the stage show, everything We, we felt like all through the 80s, you People can argue they were good, they were bad songs, tours, but it felt like when Revenge hit, it all came together finally. Did you go back and look at pre-Lick pre, um, It Up, so Creatures and earlier, and say, okay, guys, we got to come back and bring these elements back into the band that have sort of splintered off through the 80s? One of them obviously being, to your point, Gene Simmons has to come back. Well, that was that was the element to me. That was the missing. When I got involved, remember, I got hired before the uh, Hot in the Shade record. Um, the record was already done. I thought it was a horrible album. There was three quality songs on the whole record, of which we did videos for all three, which was Hide Your Heart, Rise to It, and obviously I got them their first top 10 single since Beth with Forever. Um, and it's funny because from the day I started managing the band, promoters would call me every day saying, we'll offer you millions and millions of dollars for them to put the makeup back on. And I always looked at that point that that was the end game, which obviously it's become the end game for them. But that's why with the rise to it video, I sat with Gene and Paul and I said, look, I want to shut these people up. It's, it's getting old. Let's do, I have this idea of you guys wearing makeup in this video and that'll shut everybody up about the makeup years, which it wasn't as successful as I thought it would be, but at least it drew attention to it. But then what happened was that they did the God Gave Rock and Roll to You for the Bill and Ted soundtrack with Ezrin. And I said to them, he's got to do the next record. We've got to put that winning team back together of you and Bob Ezrin. And again, one of the criteria at the very first meeting when I got hired in 1989 was I said, look, I've got three demands. Number one, no more Simmons records. Number two, stop managing Liza Minnelli. Number three, stop sticking your tongue out. You look like an idiot. And that to get Kiss back to where it needs to be, Gene Simmons has got to get back 50% of this band. And so we did the uh, Revenge record and I sat with them and I said, I want to go with Unholy first. And it, they had not gone with any Gene Simmons song since I Love It Loud. So I got them to agree to that. And it was a, it came right on the radio. The video was very dark, got right on MTV, Headbangers Ball. And the record came out of the shoot strong. And that's when I said, I want to go at Domino second. And Gene called me. I'll never forget. Called me at home one night. I said, look, we can't do it. I said, what do you mean we can't do it? He goes, It'll upset Paul. I said, who gives a fuck? I said, you know, I'm trying to break a record here and make a statement and bring you back as the the co-leader of KISS. We need to do this. And he said, no, I got to keep the peace. And so that's why we went with the track. I just want a second, which was okay. But luckily, I got them to go with Domino after that. But at that point, the momentum had slowed down a part and the record sort of peaked around 700,000. And again, I still believe that if they had gone with my decision to go with Domino second, it would have gotten to a platinum record at that point. Then we could have gone with I Just Won or whatever. But And every time I look at you, which was the ballad fourth single. But um, 
that was the component that I thought the Kiss fans were clamoring for was Gene Simmons being back in the band. And that's why I was so adamant. And he had obviously changed his image, got the much tougher look with the goatee and wearing the leather vest, et cetera, et cetera. But that to me is what was necessary to re bring them back was, was, uh, was getting Gene Simmons back as an equal member of kiss. Did the changing music climate at that time have a huge impact on revenge? And, and what, what, what I'm sort of going for here is if revenge had happened instead of hot in the shade, if revenge had happened just a few years earlier before the grunge movement really took hold, would there have been greater success for that album? Absolutely. And you got to remember, at the same time, I was managing Cinderella, who had had three multi-platinum records. And then when Nirvana came, it was over in a day. So, you know, it affected me with my entire roster of clients. And uh, so it definitely had impact. Uh, the tour was pretty solid, but had some clinkers along the way, because I think people were transitioning to the Nirvana grunge world in the, in 91 92 so it definitely had impact but yeah if revenge had come before hot in the shade uh, yeah absolutely it would have been much bigger and there wouldn't have been a need for a hot in the shade you know so could could revenge have happened earlier without all of the ups and downs of the 80s was it literally just taking gene getting back into the band that made revenge happen or was it all about the Again, the timing that they had to go through all that crap of the '80s, crap, good or bad, however you want to argue. No, it, to me, that, to me, it was all. To me, it was getting Gene back. I mean, that, that was, was solely enough, it. That was solely it. I think, and that yeah, it could have happened. It could have happened two years earlier. It could happen three years earlier. It could have happened five years earlier. I mean, he had he had totally gotten off the rails by you know, like I said, starting Simmons Records, which was a joke, and managing Liza Minnelli, which was a joke, and acting in some of the worst movies in history of mankind of movie making. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that's why, it, like I said, I was quite adamant. And I think they were surprised at our meeting uh, when I was so in his face about this is what has to happen. And uh, and thankfully, he agreed and uh, and came back. And the proof is in the pudding with uh, what we accomplished for revenge. Did and he obviously obviously I did Kiss Alive three after that. And then I parted ways during the Kiss My Ass debacle, which was another joke. And then. You know, without management, they went and they thought, oh, we have to compete with Alice in Chains. So let's get Toby right and go make that horrendous Carnival of Souls record. So but, you know, it's a shame because uh, Revenge could have been the stepping stone to, I think, subsequent great albums. But, uh, you know, I parted ways with them and then they, you know, went off in their own whatever. So. Did did Gene put up any resistance at all to the demand of coming back in the band or was he almost like ready for it? I think he was ready for it. I don't know if Paul was ready for it, but <laughs> Gene, Gene was totally ready for it. But uh, yeah, I think he, I think they needed somebody to come in from the outside and tell them wh where they were fucking up. And luckily, uh, they listened to me, and uh, and you know they did they did everything I told them to do. And uh, you know I'm very proud of that five year period because I think we uh, we got the band back in the right direction. So. You mentioned Destroyer and Revenge. Besides right. the obvious of Bob Ezrin being the producer of both of those albums, what do you think might be a common thread that made both those albums really solid, great Kiss albums? Great songs. 
great songs is a common denominator for every band to to be able to be successful. So there were great songs. I mean, Destroyer from the, you know, from Detroit Rock City on to the end to Great Expectations on to the end was a brilliant record. And I think Revenge, the same thing. I mean, Bruce Kulick got very involved in songwriting on Revenge. And I thought he brought a lot of guitar driven riffs to the album that was very strong. Obviously, everybody knows that Vinnie Vincent came back in and did some co-writing on that record. Uh, and uh, so I, I think, you know, I think the songwriting, I think if you, I mean, the Hot in the Shade record, which was self-produced and dealt with this tired team of co-writers that they had been dealing with over the years, I think, you know, was, was you know, really brought it to earth as far as how, how bad the quality was leading up to it. And thankfully, Forever was on there, which was a co-write with Michael Bolton, which I was able to get to be a big hit single. Uh, Hide Your Heart was on there. And ironically, I'm sure everybody who's KISS fans know that uh, it's very weird that at the time they released Hide Your Heart, there was four other versions that came out at the same time from Robin Beck, Molly Hatchett, and Ace Freely. Um, was, but, that plan uh, was that planned or did that just sort of happen? I think it just happened organically is that it was a, a song that was out there and uh, it was cut by all these artists and all these labels decided to release them all at the same time. So uh, and Rise to It was the only other, to me, listenable song of Hot in the Shade, and that's what we did the makeup video for. So, you know, you know, they, I'll never forget, because, again, the record was done when I got involved. It was all packaged, ready to go, and I remember the sticker said 15 great Kiss songs, because if you remember at that point in time, it was the birth of the CD. Mm -hmm. So all these bands said, oh, we no longer are limited to 20 minutes per side. We can now put 77 minutes on a CD. And I think what that led to was a lot of crap because it was more about filling up a CD than quality songs. So when I saw, so I jokingly had a meeting at Mercury and I've never told Paul and Gene this, but I'll tell you guys for this story is that I asked them, I said, you know what, instead of, can you remove that sticker which says 15 great new Kiss songs and change it to 12 pieces of crap and three great Kiss songs. <laughs> But obviously, you know, obviously I didn't get my way on that. But, uh, you know, could 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 Hot in the Shade have been saved if it had a producer? No, because it was shitty songs. They Do you think it was just at that point in time, Kiss was, I don't know, running out of steam, didn't care. They didn't. Oh, I think they what? cared. I think they cared. I, I think they cared a lot. I just think that, yeah, I mean, well, go, go let me go back a step besides the shit. So, yes, if they had had a Bob Ezrin, if they had had whoever, uh, you know, an Andy Johns, who I use for Cinderella, or, you know, guys of that caliber to be the producer, I think absolutely. But they were trying to save money. So they self produced. They did it in a, in a B level studio in Hollywood. Um, and again, the songwriting, because there was no outside voice to say that song is terrible, that song is good, whatever. I think that, you know, it was a self-sabotage situation. So I don't think they didn't care because, you know, the, the record before had some great songs over Reason to Live and Crazy Nights, I think is a great Kiss song or whatever. So I think that record was heads and tails above Hot in the Shade. I just think they decided, let's just save the money, self-produce. And again, there was no adult in the room to say, hey, these are average songs. And I think that was the problem. Whereas on Revenge, you had Ezrin, you had me. Um, and I think that that made that record much better.
Do you, final question, do you yeah. think it takes a special person as in you and Ezrin to stand up to Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and say that song sucks? 100%. 100%. Are there a lot of people that would be afraid to do that? Of course. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, as you said, it's all about the songs. And, and that's, the, that's the job of that team is to get the absolute best song possible out of an artist. Yeah. Listen, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to build a level of trust with them where literally they never said no to me. If you, got, if you remember, uh, to set up Revenge, I had them do a club tour. Uh, where we went, you know, did 12 clubs, including two nights at the Troubadour. I mean, if you watch, and it's amazing because I found through just hunting that the entire Troubadour shows up on YouTube. And I sat there one night about two months ago and watched the entire show. And I said, this, if people would watch this, they would really see how great a rock and roll band Kiss is. Forget the staging, forget the pyro, forget the lights, forget everything. If you watch on YouTube, Kiss at the Troubadour, you will see one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. And I'm very proud of the fact that they listened to everything I said and we did that tour. And I mean, the line down Santa Monica Boulevard was about two miles long to get in. I mean, it was limited to 500 people a show, but the line went down the block and uh, you know, I think those are the things I did for them to build back their credibility. That I think helped make them, you know, get back to a level of success with revenge, you know, which then promptly went away after I was involved with Carnival Souls and then obviously going for the money with the uh, makeup coming back on. But, you know, but I think revenge will uh, 50 years from now will still be in the top 10 of, of lists of people talking about the greatest Kiss records. So, Ross. Yours, two or three albums. Well, I think um, I don't have any personal stories, sadly. Maybe one day I can meet them. Um, but I think it would have to be uh, Kiss Alive, Destroyer, and perhaps a surprising one is Sonic Boom. Um, and I can give all the reasons why. Um, but I think a lot of thing with music of all bands is that when you first became aware of them or what was going on, with you where an album has a particular resonance. And I, I literally still remember reading Jeff Barton's review of Kiss Alive in Sounds, the weekly British newspaper no longer around, and literally being captivated by a review about a band I knew nothing about. I had heard no songs and with one picture of Gene Simmons next to it and thinking, I have got to have this album and I actually found it back in the day <laughs> through the small ads and it was £5.99 and it was a double album, of course, and that was too much money for me to spend in one go. And I knew my parents would be furious. So I had it sent to my friend Steve's house and he brought it into school and I was waiting every day for it to come because it was coming from the States. And I still remember opening that album and regardless what it sounded like, I knew it was going to captivate me. Uh, and it did. And that's where my lifelong since then sort of love of Kiss came. And from the very first song, it just grabbed me. And as we heard earlier, some of it we know wasn't live now, but that didn't matter at the time as well. You know, I was 
17. And I, it was also terribly glamorous. I sometimes think kids miss out now with the immediacy of music because it was great to read about this band from another country and having to wait for it and not being able to find anything else out. There's no internet, you know, they weren't on TV in the UK. And the, the, anti the anticipation. Yeah. And it was, and it was, I still, it's palpable. I remember it was a Saturday. We had Saturday school. I was at a grammar school for my sins and often held behind on a Saturday afternoon for my sins as well. And I remember him coming in with it. And when I took it home and played it, it just, that was it. And I think it's literally one of the top five live albums of all time. Um, live and Dangerous, Strange in the Night, you know, Frampton Comes Alive, some of those. But it, I think it captured Kiss in, in a way. And, and interestingly, of course, for me, who'd not heard Dress to Kill and not heard Hotter Than Hell and not heard the three albums that came before it at all, uh, it, it seemed to capture them absolutely perfectly. And then when I was went to see them for the very first time at Wembley Arena when I was at university, uh, 19... Uh, 81 um it was everything that that album was and so that's always stayed with me and it's still an album i, I listen to now it's so exciting from start to finish and it just sounded great and i i must admit i'm a big comics fan always been a comics fan um always like the superhero so i love the four persona so it all sort of came together to me for on that album and I don't think I've ever heard an album um, since, a live album that's ever quite sort of excited me as much as that did. And, and as the guys, you know, who still say, when you still listen to it now, it's just a great album. You know, um, and, and, and let me interrupt you for a second, Ross, because I want to, Larry, I want to go to you on this. I mean, you were involved in Kiss Alive 3. Yes. Did you approach Kiss Alive 3 with how are we going to match Kiss Alive? Was that a was that an underlying concern? Um, not really. The key for me was to try and get on. I had felt that it had been 15 years, so it was time. It was the obvious next thing. And also that tour was so good, the Revenge Tour, that it was, I wanted to capture it. We had done it. You know, it was a, back then, if you remember, DVDs, well, home, yeah, it was, was yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, it wasn't DVDs back then. It was, you know, home video. Home video, VHS, yeah. So the idea was I went to Mercury and I said, I want to film this because we didn't film the Hot in the Shade Tour. There are bootleg videos out there and they did have uh, on Kistory, they do have a copy of the show, but it wasn't really filmed the way I wanted to film the Hot in the Shade Tour, which I think in my mind is one of the best live shows they ever did with the Sphinx and the whole thing. And uh, I thought it was a great tour, but we, we followed up with the Revenge Tour, which had the Statue of Liberty, and it was a really cool stage set. So I, I got Polygram to agree to film it. And then obviously, we should have an audio component, which was the idea. So the first, the first part was to film the show as a DVD. And then the second part was, well, since we're filming it, let's get a truck. I said, they said, what do you want to, who do you want to get? I said, well, let's get the guy who did the last one. Let's get Eddie Kramer. So Eddie became, came out and did the engineering. We recorded it in Indianapolis. Cleveland and Detroit over a weekend, three shows we filmed and we recorded it. But for me, the most important thing was let's try and keep as many of the tracks on it as new songs um, that weren't on one or two. Obviously, you're going to have some duplication, but let's really focus on as much of the new material as possible. Um, 
And I will tell you uh, a little inside baseball that, you know, everybody laughs about the fact of, quote, the Kiss Alive being a live album and all the overdubs. And obviously every band known to man does overdubs on live albums. Very few live albums are pure live albums without some sort of doctoring after the fact. But one of my favorite songs, uh, which is on Creatures of the Night, is I Still Love You. And they weren't doing it live in the show, but I wanted that on the record because I just thought Paul could do a very good, powerful performance of it. So in the afternoon of one of the three shows, I forget which one, they did play at Soundcheck, I Still Love You, and we recorded that in, in, during the Soundcheck and put it on Kiss Live 3, even though technically it wasn't on that tour, but it is on the record and we blended in and dubbed in some audience applause, et cetera. But the, the key was to try and make it not replicating as many of the songs that were one and two as possible, which we tried to do with some obvious overlap. But uh, for the most part, it was songs that weren't on one and two. But it just, at that point in time, like I said, it started as a video project, but then it was obvious, let's have a record component also. Ross, your other albums. Um, so Destroy It. Now, some of this is going to sound exactly like what Frank said. <laughs> That's because... He's completely right. Um, I don't think there's a, a Kiss album that's as perfect as um, the marketing image, the cover, the songs, the step up. And I remember it uh, being such a kind of surprise with all the things that obviously Bob Ezrin brought to it, as, as I now know much more than I did when I was at university. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a perfect encapsulation of them at the time and moving them on to another level um, in both musicianship and composition and uh, arrangement and everything. Uh, and it is literally the, my favourite album cover of all time. And I'm sure all you guys have got the 45th anniversary set. I just had my deluxe set come, which is full of lots of goodies. And it just made me remember just how good it all is. Um, and so nothing changes that. And I, and I listened to the, the remastered version and then the Blu-ray remix, Stephen Wilson version. And it's just, they're just fantastic songs. Plus it, it has my favorite Kiss song on it, which is, which is Detroit Rock City. So that's another reason why that one will always be, you know, top of the, the ones, to be honest. Well, and, and then your third album, which might surprise a lot of people, Sonic Boom. Well, again, it's interesting. Again, it's partly when you come third in the conversation or fourth, whatever, it's that you're going to say some of the same things. But I just love the songs on that album. I, I think there was an element of surprise to me. Um, love the cover. I actually went to a Kiss launch party in, in Amsterdam and um, they had an unveiling of it. So again, from the artwork, if you start off with the first visual thing, I just love the songs, uh, even, you know, the ones sung by not the normal uh, duo. And that was the thing. Again, I think every album comes down to the songs. Yeah, the image is great. Yeah, the cover, all part of it. But when you put it on the turntable or you stream it or you put it in as a CD, it comes down to songs. And I really like them. I just really like that set of songs. And I think they're, they're all very strong. I'm much stronger than, for example, Hot in the Shade, which has, you know, some highlights and then and then what might be called some lowlights <laughs> and rather more lowlights than highlights. I just thought it was a great album. 
and uh, in a way also them kind of reproving themselves. And I know Paul's always talked about in interviews I've read, uh, but um, yeah, I, I know it's not necessarily a popular or perhaps even a, uh, a, a normal choice that most people would pick, but I, I've always loved that album. And it, it, it's one of the, of all their albums, one of the ones that I, I often replay. Well, I, I know, you know, I, I can't say what Mark's choices are going to be, but I do know that for Mark, Sonic Boom is always one of his favorite. Well, albums. I've been I've been seeing some nods. I was looking for nods. I haven't, I haven't had many nods, but I got I, I saw them from Mark, so I, I realized I must be <laughs> on the money there. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, it, as ever, it's what you said in the beginning. Like, there's no real wrong answer, but um, it, most people don't agree with me on this. So it's nice, it's nice to meet well, someone he, that does. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the challenge with somebody like Kiss is. We've got so many yeah. albums over nearly 50 years with various yeah. members and various styles of music and some great successes and some not so great successes. And when you've got a band that's been around this long, people discover the band and the music at different points in their lives. I, I, I always come back to this. One of the interviews we did on Three Sides with was with Andy Beersack from Black Veil Brides. And we talked to him. When did you discover Kiss? When? Because he's a huge Kiss fan. And Larry, to your credit, he's like, 1992, the Revenge album. That's when I discovered <laughs> Kiss. That's the first time I got exposed to Kiss. For some of us, quote, old timers, that's like, you can't imagine that. But all we got to do is put, put ourselves in our shoes when we were that young. And what, what did we discover? And there's nothing wrong that somebody discovered Kiss in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s. If the songs are great for them and connect with them, that's all that matters. And, it, and at the end, there's no right or wrong. I, I will say, I think Modern Day Delilah is one of the, I'm not a fan of the whole album, but I do think that's one of their better songs. So, so there is, yeah. there is well, a little I, bit I, of merit. There is a little bit of merit on that record for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I love it. And I, I think the same point, Michael, is what I was saying. Is it does also depend when you sort of start off with a band. And then, of course, I rediscovered the earlier uh, Kiss albums, which uh, I never liked the production of those first three, which is why they're kind of not in my, even though a load of classics on there, including my second favourite Kiss song, Black Diamond. But the production is so poor. There's really kind of nothing you can do with that. So it's it's everything after that. Although I have to say, Dress to Kill is probably my second favorite uh, cover that I love. I just love that, them in those suits, especially the fact they don't fit. That always amused me when I was younger. I thought, they belong to the, they I, belong I read about to it. it. They had to borrow them, didnn't they? Yeah, they from Bob, Bob Gruen, the <laughs> photographer, got them those suits. Yeah, exactly. And, that's, and of course, because they were so, uh, like, you know, gods, I couldn't really understand but maybe they didn't have things that fitted. So I, I thought it was deliberate. <laughs> well, but yeah, those three, I mean, there's not a Kiss album I don't like. Oh, come on, come on. I mean, we could have a whole nother round table yeah. of the Kiss albums that are I realize. <laughs> and there's a couple that are close for thing. And, you know, I, I love the third live album too. I, I, I actually love, I didn't know that about um, I, that I think song. That, so that's great to hear that. But no, I, I love that one. But no, if, I, if, if I'm limited to three, that's my three. Okay, so Mark, let's 
I could kind of guess. I've been around you long enough, but let's see what what are what are your three albums today? Hey, before I before I start, I just want to say thank you to uh, the co-hosts this week, uh, Larry. I could sit that what you just did over the last little bit here was probably fifteen minutes of the best Kiss talk I've heard in years, and I'm on a show <laughs> that talks about Kiss every freaking week. That was amazing, um, guys. I, I everybody here, um, you know, Ross, the fact that you picked, you know, I didn't think I'd ever hear that in a forum like this because Sonic boom, freaking rules. And I think Frank and I just were, you know, brothers from another mother. Some because we're close on our picks. I mean, really close. And I think when I go through mine, I'll probably get a, a, a knowing wink and a nod from, from Frank as well. So gentlemen, fantastic job so far. Um, you know, I'm going to go with the granddaddy that started it all for me. Also, I'm, I live in Detroit. The band hit here first, and, and you it was like a tidal wave when they hit. Kiss Alive is everything to me. Kiss Alive was really when I started going, hey, that's what I like. Now, that wasn't the first. You know, in, in 1975, I was 10. Uh, my older brother had Hotter Than Hell in the fall of 74. So I was aware of what Kiss was all about. But it wasn't until Alive came out that the floodgates hit. Like, it was like, holy Jesus, that's that's it. And I never looked back. And it, and it made perfect sense, too, because before Kiss Alive, here in, in, in Detroit, roller skating was really big. And I loved BTO, and I loved the suite. And if you kind of think about it, if you meld those two kind of bands, it's, it's you can draw the lines to where Kiss is. You know, it's loud, it's flamboyant, it's, uh, you know, it's just fun, more, it was fun. And nothing is more fun than Kiss Alive. And uh, when I knew we were doing this exercise, when Michael told me about it, I, I, I wanted to be honest with myself. I went back, because I'm an old guy in my mid-50s, I looked at my iPod and sure as shit, my iPod did not lie. Kiss Alive is the Kiss record I still go to time and again. It, 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 it is, it's everything. It's everything that I like. And a lot of the bands that I got into later or even around the same time, Kiss had that, had it all, you know? And, and again, yeah, the, the visuals, that's all true. But when you're listening to, you know, Black Diamond and those chords go off and the bombs and you're like, oh, my God, you know, this is this is the greatest thing ever. And the intro to Deuce and the anticipation and, you know, get up and get your grandma out of here. I'm like, he meant it. You know, there's no bullshit in Kiss Alive. Start to finish. That is the greatest live album of all time. And I'm a huge fan of live albums. They're like because all my favorite bands that's why i think they are my favorite bands because they couldn't bullshit us you know uh, i i it's funny too because ross i can tell you're from on the other side of the pond because those are quintessential english you know albums that i'm doing wrong i freaking love you know uh what you mentioned but i i want live bootleg you know aerosmith Double Live Gonzo, Ted, you know, I, those, those are the, at that era, you know, and it's funny too, uh, going back to uh, what Larry was saying, I think you gotta, I think you gotta throw uh, Made, in uh, Made in Japan from Deep Purple in there too, right, when you're talking about the, uh, 
the humble pie thing. And as anybody who watches three sides know every now and then in the rotation, you'll see me wearing my humble pie shirt too. That, that, uh, that album is every bit as great as kiss alive, but kiss alive to me is just that one notch better than all those other incredible albums we were just talking about. So that's, that's number one. And if anybody's watching us, you know, cause I, you know, I always like to try and look out for younger fans. Maybe they're listening to this cause they want to hear a bunch of kiss geeks talk about kiss music. If you do not have kiss alive, I think that is the best place to start. Um, in my humble opinion, uh, moving on to the next one, I would say, and this is where Frank and I are a little bit off. I think it was the next one. I, I think rock and roll over is, is, is I love destroy. Don't get me wrong. And destroy was the first kiss record I ever bought with my own money. And when it was new, I, you know, I bought that in like April. I know it came out in March, but I think I picked it up in April of, of 76. I, I, I'm going to go with rock and roll over just because I, I like the way it sounds better. It's, it's more raw. And, 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 and something I brought up on the last three sides, had they not gotten Ezrin, I, I don't think we'd be here today because listen to what, if you have the, the kiss destroyer uh, box set, don't you hesitate. It's, it ain't the smoke. Don't get me wrong. Great, great songs but they weren't Detroit Rock City. They weren't shouted out loud. You know what I mean? I, I didn't hear in those crumbs and, and Detroit Rock City wouldn't have sounded like it did. I mean, was Detroit Rock City demoed by Paul by himself? Yeah, but listen to what he came up with versus what eventually came out because of Ezra. Different song. I mean, a couple riffs, a couple lyrics. Yeah, but it didn't have that grandiose sound. It, it didn't have... That song in demo form, while fun to listen to, is nothing like the original. Nothing. And it's funny, too, because when you listen to the demo, it's just a generic, heavy, hard rock guitar solo in it. Don't get me wrong. Great stuff. But ain't, it ain't that da -na -na -na, it, ain't, it doesn't have what the final product came out. Anyways, I think since they did Destroyer, they picked up their game. They went into rock and roll over going... I got this now. It's like a kid who learns how to skate. He's a little wobbly at first. And then after about a year of skating, he's like, uh, I, I got this. I know what to do now. And I think that's what rock and roll over. And even as uh, Larry said, love gun to a degree, but rock and roll over was really them going, I got it now. I can do this, you know? And uh, they brought in the, the right producer for that record. And, and the riffs, I mean, the riffs were, I mean, make and love is, is there anything more quintessentially great kiss than the opening riff of, of make and love or just the grind of uh, calling Dr. Love when it first starts um, this, the sleaziness of, uh, of love them and leave them. And Paul was on fire writing some of his best, just, you know, two minute rock and roll songs, Mr. Speed, you know, uh, I want you just great, fantastic again. So I'm going to go with rock and roll over as my second uh, favorite and I actually had a toss-up for my third um, once again going to Frank here it's Creatures because Creatures took the band to another level um, and as Frank said they much like Destroyer they had to because if they didn't make that next step again I don't think we'd be here today and that's the great thing about Creatures much like a band, like uh, the first Montrose album, that it didn't sell great, 
at the beginning, but like 20 years later, everyone goes, hey, that's that's incredible and eventually sold very well. Same thing with Creatures. I went to the tour. I was lucky. Again, growing up in Detroit, Kiss was still big. And, and here in Detroit, I Love It Loud did make the radio. I mean, so, I mean, we they, they were supporting it. But, you know, I know nationwide and worldwide that wasn't that wasn't the same but yeah you could tell the 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 songs were better um they finally got that whatever rot out of them and when i go back to something that frank said because i don't think it was a freudian slip i and frank correct me if i'm wrong what frank said is spot on about peter not being on the cover now keep in mind both music from the elder and unmasked did in the states didn't do anything if you're a kid and say you liked I Was Made For Loving You, their last big song, and but you were just a casual music fan, you the last time you saw Kiss, and keep in mind, it was like, you know, three years earlier, was, you know, the Dynasty, three, four years earlier. And you'd go and you'd look at that cover of Creatures and go, where's the cat guy? Because the cat guy was easy to recognize, you know what I mean? I think kids did do that. You know what I mean? I think that I think that did kind of throw people off because if you didn't follow Kiss, you would not have known there was a new makeup guy in there. And again, yeah, for the record, uh, the record for anybody who knows the deep history of Kiss, they kind of had to have three guys, original members on or the Polygram uh, record um, deal. Because of their, their album contract required yeah, three so originals. They, so they made sure that the, the space guy was on there. So, and they were fool, trying to fool everybody at the time. But like, uh, like Frank said, though, too, you know, they delivered, you know, those songs just rock. And it's funny because the next record, which was really in a lot of ways, a sister record, look, look it up, was way more successful, but I don't think was as good. And as you know, Michael shares a very famous story about, you know, calling his local radio station and, Hey, they took their makeup off. Yeah, aren't they great now? What the fuck? It's music. What are you talking about? You know, so, uh, you know, people uh, who, who are here because of three sides will know Michael's story about that. And, uh, you know, when you go on to do yours, Mike, maybe you can elaborate a little bit about that. But yeah, the, the songs are there. I think mean, Creatures, they went now, because keep in mind, um, at the time, Van Halen, look what was big at the time, Van Halen, Ozzy Osbourne was coming out, you know, into his own after the Sabbath thing. Those are big hard rock records. And Kiss showed they could uh, they could play loud as loud and as fast as anybody else. And uh, that record, you know, really hits home. It did with me. I remember calling my friend as soon as I got him, like, they're back, baby. They're back, you know, and they really were, you know, so that album's uh, um, very important to me. So I would see those three and, and I'm going to, uh, you know, briefly, my two almost could be number three records are the debut. I, uh, the first Kiss album is just incredible. Um, the songs are just great. And like Ross said, it is true. They're kind of thin sounding compared to, you know, the, the later stuff, but the songs are, are, are phenomenal. And that's why they're still in the set today. And, uh, Thank you, Ross. Um, I, Sonic Boom was going to be my other alternate. Could have been third. Um, I, I like to say that record has all the threads. Every reason that I fell in love with the four on the floor, 
not trying to write hit singles. These are great hard rock songs. Sadly, too many fans have, have were too stupid to not understand how great that record really is. Um, start to finish, I don't think there's a, well, there's one song I'm not too crazy about, uh, Dangerous. I don't think that one's all that great, but that, that's pretty much it. Everything else, very thematic, very well written, very well played. And um, Tommy Thayer smokes on that record. Sorry, some of the best guitar work on any Kiss record. Hate me if you want, Tommy's on fire. And I think that record's fantastic. Matter of fact, I love Monster too. I just think that Sonic Boom sounds a little bit better. But uh, that's it for me for those. Well, so I, I will wrap this up. And and the beauty of a Kiss Roundtable is it can be all over the place. And <laughs> and if you're a listener of Three Sides, you know my musical taste when it comes to Kiss. And I'm not what I'm about to say is not deliberate for stirring the pot. It's me as a fan. And I think Frank kicked it off with these lists can change every day based upon your mood and where you're at. And it's also driven by where you were in your life when you first got exposed to that album. So for this one, I'm going to pick three and I'm going to start off with this is almost always my number one rock and roll over for no I shouldn't say no other reason, but one of the biggest reasons, it is the very first Kiss album I ever got. I, I still, to this day, anytime I hear I Want You, I am transported back to the That's giant true. console stereo system in my parents' house as I'm dropping the needle for the very first time and going, it start, you know, how it starts out quiet. And I'm just like, what in the world is this? This is incredible to everything else Mark just said about rock and roll over. I think it's just a very solid, hard in your face. It's not quite as polished, definitely as Destroyer, but the songs, everything there, to your point, making love. I mean, please, that that song right there just slaps you across the face. I mean, rock and roll over. There was. Nothing I could find wrong with that album. Absolutely nothing. It was also where, how it was in my life. But I got fortunate that that very first Kiss album was also legitimately such a great, solid Kiss album. The next album I'm going to pick is Kiss Alive 2. And, and a lot of people will know, I don't hate Kiss Alive, but it's all about, as we say in the show, timeline. I became a KISS fan, Destroyer Rock and Roll Over era. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't introduced to them prior to that. So KISS Alive wasn't in my vision. It wasn't in my timeline. KISS Alive 2 is the definitive KISS Live album for me because that represents KISS when I discovered them. That represents Super KISS monster kiss when kiss literally was at their peak everywhere in the world that album just paints such a perfect picture and 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 honestly i i sometimes will drive some people nuts i'm like forget about side four of kiss alive too that's throwaway to me no i love those, it no those first I, yeah, no i, those I three, love that 
the three live <laughs> sides I can listen to over and over and over again because it's got so much. Again, no debating what was real and not. There's energy. There's explosive mm-hmm. energy in Kiss Alive too, that just connects with me. And again, because. That's when I became a fan. I'm not taking away everything all of you said about Kiss Alive. I completely agree with none of this would be here without Kiss Alive. It just wasn't an album that as a fan back then, I didn't I didn't have the older brother that introduced me to music. I was discovering music on my own. I had a neighbor across the street that was talking about Kiss but they weren't playing Kiss Alive for me. It was just sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember my, my neighbor Brian mentions Kiss. So I'm going to get a Kiss album from the RCA Record Club, and that's Rock and Roll Over. I had no idea. Boom. I was hooked. Um, my third album, and, and this will not surprise Mark, but it could surprise a lot of people. I'm going with Crazy Nights crazy yeah mark's like look at the time let's wrap this up again there's something about crazy nights that connects with me as this is what kiss is about it is nothing but i don't want to steal a poison but it's nothing but a good time album crazy crazy nights it's you know when 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 people go Carnival of Souls is a great album. I'm with Larry. I'm like, that's the biggest piece of crap ever recorded. That's not what Kiss is about. Kiss is not about being depressed, not about moaning and complaining and, oh, life. Kiss is all about party, rock and roll all night, crazy, crazy nights. Somehow that album, Crazy, Crazy, Crazy Nights, and the song Crazy, Crazy Nights really connected to me. And it's, it's one of the albums that to this day, I still go back to over and, you know, it's like when I'm sitting back and I'm just like, man, I just need something to give me that kick in the ass, you know, smile. I'm going to, I'm going to hit play on crazy nights. I think reason to live is one of the best pop songs Paul Stanley's ever written. That there's nothing. I I also felt like Foreigner wrote it first though. (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's a stone cold ripoff of i want to know what love is i mean it's look, not even look we could have a whole nother round table about how kiss jumped on trends <laughs> and followed everything else out there because you know to larry's point what is carnival souls but nothing but how do we become alice in chains but you know I felt like also not that gene was back in the band at crazy nights but i felt like lyrically and vocally, he was better on Crazy Nights than he was on the previous non-makeup albums. Unfortunately, he went right backwards with Hot in the Shade. Oh, yeah. Hot in the Shade. I, I'm right there with Larry. It's like, this is just a complete throwaway. It's a demo album. It's just a bunch of demos that they pressed up. And, you know, you're right. There's a few good songs on it. But for the most part, it's I, I don't go to it's Hot horrible. in the Shade for anything. Any, the tour, Larry? Yes. That, well, yeah, that... Let, let me just interject because the comment on one of the songs you mentioned when you mentioned the rock and roll is if you went to that, tour, I, I assume you guys went to the Hot in the Shade tour. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, if you remember, I made a decision, you know, up until that point, the centerpiece of every Kiss tour was obviously the Kiss sign. It was always right in the center of the stage. And 
when we had the production meeting about the hot in the shade tour, I said, listen, let's change things up. You've got this incredible image with this Sphinx. And, and I got pushback saying, no, no, we're no, you know, if, if the fans don't see the kiss sign, I said, no, listen, we've got this incredible thing. Let's use that as the center point. But if you remember the show, at the end of the set, uh, the Sphinx sort of explodes and goes down. And then they come back with I Want You, which starts mm -hmm. off with, like you said, the slow part. With a, We had a mirror ball and did like a whole disco thing with the mirror ball spinning around. And then when it kicks in, all of a sudden the kiss sign rises up. With, yep. And we're used, it was funny because the lighting company made it almost too bright. And it got to the point where the crew was complaining about how bright it was because they were singing it every night. And our tour, our production manager, Charlie Hernandez, used to bring to the to the soundboard a box of sunglasses. And before <laughs> they came back for the encore, everybody, all the guests that were on the soundboard to sort of prepare them, he would hand out Ray-Bans to everybody who was there to put on so they weren't like blinded by when the kiss sign came back up. But I'm very proud of the fact that I Want You, because of the tempo, gave us the perfect opportunity in that show to bring back the kiss sign as sort of like how the show ended. So yeah, I mean, I've always I, been a hold on, real quick though, I Larry, Larry, that Larry, show. I, I got to Hold on, Larry, I got to say though, how in the hell did that sign get okay? That the K on that thing, trust me, kiss fans worldwide have made that gripe over and over. It was a great concept. And it was incredible. I remember it well. But it wasn't the legitimate Kiss K. The K, the K looks brutal. Matter of fact, I want to say they reused I don't remember that. that. <laughs> if you go back and look. If you go back picture, and look, just look at that and then compare it to like the classic Kiss logo light, you'll go, wow, okay, that K doesn't, it's not mm -hmm. the same. It's it's slightly off. It's it's off enough that the geeks like us go, what the <laughs> hell? Because I will tell you, I will tell you, it's been what? It's been, uh, so it's, uh, it's 11 and 21 is 32. This is the first time I've heard anybody say that in 32 go, years. Go, go, so go, go, you take guys, a look. You guys are about as diehard <laughs> as you oh, oh, no, you, you, you ask any KISS fan who was there. And, 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 and listen, I will say this. I mean, through the 80s, the KISS tours were becoming more and more blah and blah and blah. As much as I love the Crazy Nights album, the tour was the absolute pits. And when the Hot in the Shade tour hit, we didn't know what we were going to get. But I can tell you, and I think every KISS fan who went there will agree, when it opened with I Stole Your Love, the goosebumps on your arms were just like, holy crap and then well the goosebump wait a minute the goosebump should have started when the sphinx mouth opened and the lasers came out and the four of them were standing there but, in the but, mouth that's but when the goosebumps that, that, oh, they that, did they that did was, that was that was definitely cool but we were like oh my god it's i stole your love they're they're playing some classic kiss but to what you just described about that logo I remember standing in the audience the first time I saw that was at the world theater outside Chicago and when that logo started rising up, I kid you not, I probably almost had tears in my eyes feeling so proud. It was like, my God, Kiss is rising up out of the ashes. It was like such a moment for Kiss fans, the old Kiss fans to go, yes, Kiss. It's almost like that Creatures of the Night moment. They're back. 
They well, get that's it. How we, we, if you remember, we opened the Revenge Tour with Creatures of the Night was the opening song. Mm-hmm. My yep. yep. But, you yep. know, the other thing on that, along with I Want You, my other favorite part of that show was another battle I had with them because I was very involved with picking the songs for that tour. And I demanded that they do I Was Made for Loving You, which I hadn't done for many years because they thought it was one of the things that destroyed their career. And I said, guys, it's been so many years. Sometimes what's cool and uncool becomes cool again years later. And if you remember on that show, we put a lot of pyro on that. So when mm-hmm. it came to the breakdown, the, what I call the disco breakdown section, we had these flame jets that went across the stage and then a big pyro thing. And I thought that really helped bring I Was Made For Loving You back to life. And they've been doing the song ever since. So I think they saw that even a song they looked at as an albatross in their career, if presented the right way with some good effects, could win over an audience. And that's why I think they've kept it in the set all these years since then. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, my, my, my three were, were rock and roll over alive two and crazy nights. And if I had to throw a couple of the, the other two that rotate in and out all the time, Larry, your revenge. I mean, it's, it's, it was that, it was that creatures of the night moment of listening to that. When I got an advanced tape going, Holy crap, these guys are back. I, I, I remember I was working at a small label at the time that had signed um, Crowbar, Kirk Winstein's band. And Kirk is a huge Kiss fan. And I was on the phone with him. I'm like, Kirk, I just got the, the advance for Kiss Revenge. And he was like, oh, yeah, what's it like? You know, because, again, we're coming out of hot in the shade. Right. I said, dude, Kiss is back. It was literally like the Creatures of the Night album dropping all over again. Fans were like, this album. It's here. It's got everything going to it. And then Destroyer is obviously in there and out of there. Sometimes that's my number two. Sometimes it's five. For what everything everybody said here, it is, it, you know, if you were to give somebody that Destroyer album, you know you're giving them a blueprint of what KISS is all about. You can't go wrong with Destroyer. I mean, there might be one song on there that I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Sweet Pain, but it, it's not like it turns me off. Um, there's just nothing wrong with that album. There, that's an album that is filled with anthems, Shout It Out Loud, Flaming Youth, please. I mean, that's always been one of my number one Kiss songs because I feel like that's a rallying cry for the youth. Stand up and be proud of what you listen to. And to some extent, that's what I love about Kiss albums is a Kiss album that says, screw what everybody else is saying, stand up, be proud for what you like, what you listen to, what your favorite songs are. And that's what Kiss is. Kiss is, you know, is, is basically middle finger to the man, middle finger to society. We don't care if we're the outcasts. We love what we love. And, you know, to some extent, I feel that as a Kiss fan, because every time I say Crazy Nights is one of my favorite albums, you know, so many Kiss fans are like, oh, my God, you can't be a real fan. I'm like, I'm as real as you are, because I go all the way back to 1976. I go back to the Paul Lind Halloween special. I go back to rock and roll (laughs) over. And yet I will swear by Crazy Nights as one of the best Kiss albums ever released. And you hung in there even during Phantom of the Park, right? 
Oh, listen. <laughs> well, Mark, Mark, Mark was the one that hung in there. I mean, we've talked about this. Phantom of the Park was one of those moments where it's like, my band is on TV. You're not even paying attention to good, bad, or otherwise. They're on freaking TV. And that's a moment of pride for you as a Kiss fan because we got to all think back, back in those days, they weren't on TV that much, if at all. And you never knew in advance that they were going to be. And if you missed it, there wasn't going to be a rerun for the next 30 days. You missed it. You missed it. So it was sort of like 13. I knew that was terrible. It was the first time. (laughs) I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I could, I was just, I, I, you know, yeah, it's cheesy and it was stupid and everything you want to say about it, but that was my band. They were on network TV at night. And you know what, mom and dad, you just got to sit in the lazy boys and watch because I'm watching this for the next hour and a half. This is my show. And there, there's something special about that, that I think that attitude is what brings KISS fans together. You know, and, and you know, as much as we dog on Hot in the Shade, we've also got a lot of listeners and fans who are like, Hot in the Shade is, is it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, and it's that's like, that's started. fine. That's fine. If it if if that is your album for whatever reason, there's nothing wrong with that. There's there's no right or wrong when it comes to what is the best Kiss album. And and going back to when I when I was talking to Howard about putting this on, I'm like, Howard, you know, if we if we're forced to come up with the definitive list of the best Kiss albums, it's always going to have Kiss Alive at the top. It's just going to. Sure. But that takes away from the fact that everybody out there might have different reasons why it is or it might be their number two or their number three album or guess what you discovered kiss on the sonic boom tour and you haven't even really felt the power of 70s kiss you haven't gone back that far yet so that's where he was like okay we're not going to look for the definitive list put together by our panel it's just our panel expressing what they like. And then, as I said, if you can wrap up, send me just a quick email, one or two sentences of your definitive best Kiss album and why. Howard's going to work that all in because this is all going to be part of the, the issue that this is going to be in is all about the Destroyer 45th box set. That's going to be the cover. This is going to be a supplementary article that's going to go along with it. And he wanted a round table of KISS experts, if there's such a thing. I mean, you know, we have those arguments all the time. What makes one person an expert over the next? Nothing, really. Nothing. 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 I mean, I, I would argue that that 10-year-old fan who discovered KISS on the Sonic Boom Tour is probably more valuable than any of us here because they're the ones that are going to keep the legacy alive moving forward as we get older and we start dying off. I look at those younger kids on the Kiss Cruise. I see them. They're singing along. Their fists are pumping in the air. Yep. Every, bit is, every bit is valid as the old guard. Gentlemen, uh, wonderful spending the afternoon with, it, with you. Uh, I, I was able to um, jump here and do this today. But I we, we, yeah, we, we, we're, so. we're, we're done here. I think I got plenty of great material for Howard. And like I said, if you can just follow up with a quick email, uh, in the next day or two, that would be awesome. And I'll keep everybody posted when this gets released. Hopefully you guys love that. 
roundtable discussion as much as Mark and I enjoyed being in it because again, it was, it, 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 I got to tell you, putting it together, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of was like, oh, is this going to be too formal? Is this going to be too, you know, you got to answer this question and do this. And it, and it didn't play out that way. Yeah, we had one topic in mind, but it felt like a free form three sides discussion again to me. I, and, and that's what I really loved about that round table is getting, getting Mark's opinion, my opinion, Larry's opinion, Ross's opinion, Frank's opinion. And, you know, the cool thing at the end of the day, none of us were getting angry at anybody else for their opinions. That's the way it should that, be. That's the way it should be. Really, it, it's got to be that way. So hopefully you all enjoyed that, that roundtable discussion as much as we did. And like I said, we've got Larry coming in and hopefully in a couple of weeks to do nothing but talk about his time with Kiss around the Revenge era. Um, I would think homework is, is pretty obvious. I mean, follow what we were talking in the roundtable and you, you contribute. What, what is the greatest Kiss album to you? chime in what was the little tidbits that you just learned or didn't know about that you thought were interesting also did anyone sit through the one hour preamble <laughs> sorry hey sorry we just start chalk talking about kiss and we can't shut up you know a bunch of you are sitting in traffic so this works out really well Plus, hey you got you got you got a little judas priest talk you got some motley crew talk you got some aerosmith talk out of it i mean you know people we're not just kiss here. We love our rock and roll. So you know what your homework is. Go answer those homework questions. Let us know what you think of this round table. By all means, please go out and support Rock Candy. Buy this issue. Go to rockcandymag.com. You can order that. First of all, they are available on newsstands, even in the U.S., although the U.S. is, is a few weeks at least behind Europe because it's got to be imported and shipped over here um but you can order online at rockcandymag.com you can get the physical magazine you can order pdfs of the issues if all you want is a digital you can get a digital of the issue as well this is a kiss kiss issue on the covers kiss we're in the magazine larry mazer's got a little article in the magazine um as a kiss fan you need to add this one to your magazine collection for sure. Um, anything else we need to remind people of? I don't think so. Yeah, that we didn't get a uh, didn't get a video before Christmas announcing when our books. Oh, forget that didn't that didn't happen. <laughs> that book is not happening. We've now moved on to Kiss Twenty Twenty Goodbye. That's I hate to say it, but kiss your money goodbye is what it is they took the website down for that kiss 2020 goodbye.com go to the website gone it's not a good sign sorry and sadly as much as we we've talked about this kiss has still made no statement about kiss 2020 goodbye they've never talked about the destroyer shipping fiasco the little, the little behind the scenes stuff I do know is ultimately and unfortunately, 
Landmark was the one who promised all this stuff, not Kiss. I mean, they did Kiss get money for it? I'm assuming their checks cleared, but this was Landmark. I, you know, I, I'm not going to rehash everything I said weeks ago, but thank you. you know, yeah. Somebody's got the money to refund. This is going to be another hour. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to put a quarter into Mark at the yeah, end. Yeah, not at yeah. this point. So, so just, just to say that, you know, if you spend money on it, Landmark has your money and I don't know how they're going to get them to, I, I just for a second, Landmark did tell us that they had the hats and the shirts and the, you know, all the stuff back in July, that was their email. Uh, you know, all kidding aside, just like, you know, the magic book. Look, if they rush out a couple hats and a couple shirts, just like if someone were to staple a bunch of pictures together and you got something, was it worth it? No, but at least you got something. I think that's the way these entities should at least go about it. At least give the fans who paid something. I, I, I think more than anything, the issues just, and this is what I said about Destroyer Box Set at the beginning. It's just got to be acknowledged that they know that there's a problem and that they will try, they as in KISS. Because again, yes, Landmark's got the money, but it's the KISS logo and it's the KISS name. I, I, and, again, and, and, and it's right. and, and it's KISS who said, come here and buy this. So I think KISS has got to step up and just say, we've heard you. We know there's a problem and we're doing everything we can to work this out with Landmark and that's it. Just acknowledge. I mean, that's that to me, that's what's missing through all of this. There's just been no acknowledgement that there's even a problem. Is Landmark out of LA? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about them. I don't know. So anyways. But, uh, any, anyway, I mean, we're aware of the problems and, you know, obviously if we hear something, we will let you guys know, but uh there's only so much we can do on this stuff. We can make some noise, but at the end of the day, we have no authority to make anything happen. Nope, we do not. Um, so there you go. Uh, I think we've got a guest next week. I can't remember who. I don't pay attention that far in advance. Don't know who's going to be from Three Sides joining us. Probably just Mark and me. I mean, we're the, two, we're the two that are always here. We care the most. Oh, definitely. <laughs> What's your point? Um, yeah, well, we're, we're nothing but honest and transparent here. Yeah. Tommy doesn't give a crap about this show. <laughs> um, all right. If you're on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, please hit the follow button. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review and a rating anywhere. We love reading your comments. This this last week's episode, lots of comments. Hopefully we can get some good comments from you guys playing along with the roundtable discussion and support Rock Candy Magazine. This is a great support issue music. with KISS. Support music, support bands that are out there touring. Mm -hmm. um, just don't fly around the world to go see a band tour right now because that's pretty risky. Ask Adrian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Poor guy. Yeah, poor poor Adrian flew to Vegas to go see Kiss 
and David Lee Roth. How'd that work didn't, out? Didn't he didn't see? He saw Bruce Kulick and he saw yeah. a Van Halen tribute band. I felt so what because he's one of those great guys you meet in the world. What a wonderful person! Yeah. Just you know him and his wife. I mean, don't get me wrong; he got to get out of England. He went to Vegas for like ten days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm sure he had fun, but you know, I, I'm sure he's just as geeky as us just waiting to go see, you know, two of his favorites and then both of them crap out. Oh, yeah. and again, that's not like, that's not, you know, you know, a couple hour flight I mean, he had to fly across the pond, man. That's, yeah. you know, poor guy. Yeah. So, so yeah, don't, don't fly around. The, don't, don't fly around the world right now to see any band. I don't care who it is. <laughs> it's just, not a safe, it's not a safe bet. Um, all right, that's it. Three sides of the coin. We'll see you next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.